0: Hey, this is Bill Fickner, and you're listening to Out Now. Stay tuned. Wait a minute. I forgot my introduction.
1: We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is, once again, he's out on assignment. Uh, out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I normally discuss new the movies weekly. However... Every now and then we have to do these special bonus episodes where it's one of our fun commentary tracks. It's something completely different. And this is something completely different. This is, um, what do we call this? Uh Some September stuff. Um, There were a lot of new releases this week. I didn't quite want to spend an entire uh, episode focused on the House of the Clock at its walls. Although... I think we all have positive things to say about House of Clock and its walls, but regardless, we will get to that movie because uh, in addition to seeing that movie, there were like four other major releases, um, a number of other movies that have just been out recently, and some other stuff we just kind of want to talk about. So I figured instead of having a formal uh, segment-heavy show, I figured why not just grab a couple guys, uh, put us on together since Abe's out, and... uh, yeah, just, uh, just just talk about movies for a little while. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. And so joining me to do just that, to make it extra confusing, um, I have two Scott M's from Forbes. Always happy to have a chocolate chip cookie. It's Scott Mendelssohn.
0: That is a correct statement.
1: Also joining us from We Live Entertainment and the founder of the Los Angeles Online Film Critics Society, one of the white male critics that did like life itself. It's Scott Menzel. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, yes it, is. yes, it is. If history is any indication, I will, too. Yes. From the critics that like Collateral Beauty in the Book of Henry. Me, too. I like the Book of Henry. Yes, it's good. just a movie. Yeah. It's a standalone picture that's kind of weird, and that's okay.
1: Anna and I watched uh, it. We, we, we liked what we saw. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, how are the two of you Scott M's doing tonight?
0: I am doing well. I had a lovely day at the beach.
2: Me too. you're my second podcast of the day today, Aaron. All right. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Yes.
0: Well, we,
1: as as usual when it comes to competing podcasts, I hope to put them down in the ground and make them stay there. Um there you go. So Let's uh, let's get into things. Well, first up, let's get to some show notes. Uh, first up, I got a couple of new bonus episodes on um, the past couple of weeks. First up is our commentary track for Predator 2. Uh, the Predator came out last weekend, and uh, this weekend it took a big dive, I believe, in the in the box office, if I'm not mistaken. That said, Predator 2, already on Blu-ray. You can easily watch it and you can listen to our commentary track. We had a lot of fun talking about the film uh, and uh, plenty of other things related to it. Uh, also out there in terms of bonus episodes, uh, we had an interview last, uh, yeah, last week with a uh, friend of the show, Terrence Johnson, also a member of the Los Angeles Online Film Critics Society, um, who uh, is a filmmaker in his own right. He has a new web series debuting, the Vampire Resistance Corps, uh, this coming Wednesday. So we had an interview talking all about the, uh, the production, creation, and whatnot of the show. Uh, so you can find all those, you can find all that at iTunes and Audio Boom. Speaking of which, go to iTunes, search for our show, and please give us a rating and review. That'd be great. It helps out our show, it helps other people find the show, it helps us, you know, stomp other podcasts that other guests of ours are on, so we can, you know, climb higher in the charts. So all that's good stuff. Um, so yeah, uh, iTunes, it's good, it's a good place to go to, to, to help out, a, help us help our show up, and plenty of podcasts. That'd be to stomp on whatever Scott's doing in his off time when he's not talking to us. It's fine. It's you know, it's fine. It's perfectly fine. Uh, <laughs> Um, and that's enough announcements for now let's uh let's move into things let's um gonna move past some stuff that we normally do and just get to, straight to some trailer talk uh we're talking about one of the newest movie trailers of the week what we thought of it, what have you and there are a couple trailers i want to get to this week but the main one i think is a uh, captain marvel we had the first trailer for captain marvel this week this is the upcoming uh marvel cinematic universe feature uh featuring brie larson in the title role as uh, carol danvers aka captain marvel and uh, from what we saw in the trailer or teaser, if you want to call it that way, uh, set in the '90s, young Sam Jackson, Brie Larson, she's in a super suit of some kind. There's flashbacks to things going on in her past. She seems to be uh, standing up to to evil, including scrolls and grandmas all over the place. So you know who knows what's going on. Let's go. Let's, let's talk to you guys about it. Scott M. As in Menzel. What do you think of the trailer for uh, Captain Marvel?
2: I loved it. I, I cannot wait. This is probably the most excited I've been for a superhero film, probably since Black Panther. It, it just this one I love. Well, I should start by saying I love Brie Larson and I've been such a fanboy of Brie Larson for such a long time. And to see her finally in a major role in, from a big studio like Disney and how perfect she fits in this role I, I just cannot wait. I love the nod to Blockbuster in the beginning of the trailer. I love how badass this trailer looks. And I cannot wait until February when it comes
0: out. All right. Scott Mendelson, how about you? Um, I was disappointed by it. <gasps> <gasps> it be a while to figure out why. I had to watch it a few times. And for the record, this is a teaser. You know, I'm sure there will be another trailer that will show more of its wares. And... But this is the first Marvel trailer that I've seen where the only thing special about it is that it's another Marvel movie. It's a very cryptic trailer, and that may be a fine thing. It's not a criticism. But other than, hey, look, it's a woman this time, and hey, look, it's another Marvel movie, there's really not much there. It plays like a greatest hits of the MCU. You've got the the same setup that you add for the full-length Thor trailer where you have a person that falls to Earth that, hey, look, you need to know that I'm really an alien from outer space. And then you lead into that second act of you know sci-fi googly goo. You've got you know a war veteran that becomes a super from Captain America. You have a lot of the more, hard- more hardcore cosmic stuff from Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, to their credit, they're clearly not trying to turn Captain Marvel into another wannabe Tony Stark, which is, at least in his own movie, was a mistake they made with Doctor Strange. But at least in terms of this specific trailer, in a vacuum, it looked like a very generic superhero movie where the pitch is, it's a Marvel movie, and this is a character who does something super heroic. We're not really sure what, because again they're not telling you and that's fine. But as a piece of marketing, it makes me less excited to see the film than I was a week ago. Hmm. Now, does that mean it's gonna be a bad movie? No. Does that mean that there's gonna be they're gonna throw three more of their cards on the table in December? Probably. But this specific trailer is probably the weakest Marvel teaser I've seen since, frankly, the first Avengers trailer, which I thought was pretty lousy.
1: I I do agree about the Avengers thing.
0: Um, (laughs) um, (laughs)
1: um, I will note that the film, by the way, is directed by Anna Boden and Ryan Fleck, who previously gave us Half Nelson, Sugar. It's kind of a funny story, a Mississippi grind. Films I all like to varying degrees. Sugar is terrific. So is Half Nelson. Yes. Um, and Mystery Be Grind. That's just a good movie. I think it's on Netflix, too. Good watch. Ben Mendelsohn, uh, Ryan Reynolds. Uh, good stuff. No relation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, um, I, I'm i in the middle, I guess, between you guys. I, I'm not nearly as down as Scott is. I'm more on the side of, of Menzel. Sorry. It's more, uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not as down as Mendelsohn is. I'm, I'm more on the side of uh, Menzel. Um, I will say... I disagree about it not having something special or I guess from like a filmmaker's perspective I don't. I, I feel like they're if they wanted to show us like a general origin teaser um they could have done that. I, and I'm hoping this is reflected in the film. It seems like there's going to be more of an attempt to not just say like this is her from the beginning to end um as opposed to where this movie starts where even in Iron Man is a little in media res but even then that's it's not too far into things. This one feels like She's probably already going to be Captain Marvel by the time this movie like starts and we'll get yes. we'll get like glimpsed we'll get looks back into her past which I think for Marvel um as a studio and even in the realm of superhero, superhero film that we're in that's a good approach cuz mean uh, we've seen a lot of origin stories at this point and that doesn't make them bad movies necessarily but it, uh, we, as much as we don't like to talk about superhero fatigue necessarily cuz I don't think it's a thing you can see it getting a bit tiring as far as all right, we're going through the motions of here's the here's how this person started again, and if we see a person that's already the person they are, as far as the, what persona they are, what kind of <laughs> what kind of Avenger they are, what kind of superhero they are, I'm I'm happy kind of starting as you know as set like ha- them having an awareness of all they can be in you know learning learning about that person over time. I think that's an interesting approach to it as a teaser trailer goes, as far as the construction of this trailer. Um I would say yeah i I think Black Panther was a terrific teaser as far as that got me super excited to see that movie based on both the fact that it's a Black Panther movie and because I really like like they use this run the jewels track instrumental track in it that just <laughs> is just super it's like it just got me pumped this I wouldn't say has that kind of same emotional lift now speaking as a you know speaking as a a mixed black Jew. I think there's an inherent value I see in seeing a Black Panther teaser for the first time as opposed to seeing a Captain Marvel film. Or a, a woman, um, you know, seeing something like this for the first time. I don't I can't exactly speak to that reaction. I know I've seen a lot of online chatter about how much they about, about how much people in general, but yes, also you know, women, how much they appreciate Hey, there here's this movie, even though we just got Ant Man and the Wasp, this is a movie that's very much emphasizing the fact, hey, it's a solo female led Marvel movie. That's something new, that's something different. And yes, Scott, you're right. That is kind of one of the big marketing, you know, things they can go with. Hey, it's a it's a Marvel movie, but this time it's a woman. I get that, but I li- I mean, of the glimpses we're seeing here, I do like what it's doing. I do like the phases between like y- young and you know modern, as far as the the Captain Marvel we're seeing and seeing that kind. Of, it's like I get what I get the tone this thing's trying to go for. I get the kind of uh, the build up this thing's going for. The same way that the uh, the that Wonder Woman was going for, as far as getting a movie like this that has sure a, another superhero movie to offer but something about it could you know make it more remarkable in some way
0: it's it's for what it's worth i mean you know as you know it's a complete opposite situation where i really like the wonder woman trailer but i was like oh i can't get too excited because you know it's dc where this you know frankly i was not impressed with the trailer but it's marvel i i they have earned my trust to at least generate you know to deliver something that will be entertaining even if, you know, it might not be a movie I enjoy because I don't like all of them, but there's a certain benefit of the doubt. So, yes, you know, my, my criticism of it as a does it make me excited to see the movie? Eh, maybe not. And here's why. I'm also, you know, again, I, I, I trust them, And if it ends up just being that they you know didn't leave their cards on the table, good for them. I don't thinking, see. Thinking, I,
2: I don't think so. I think. Th- I think they they know what they have, and I think yeah. they they got enough out of this trailer to kind of get people excited. And they did such a great build up to it with you know having Bree do the announcement on the Entertainment Weekly cover, and then a few days later release this trailer. I think they know that they have something special with this movie, and they hit all the right beats in my opinion with going for the nostalgia factor but also kind of hinting upon the fact that and this is my prediction is that Captain Marvel is going to take over for Captain America and I and I for some reason I kind of felt that vibe in this trailer when I watched it. I think there's a something to something
1: of note is that it's a big stepping stone to whatever's next when it comes to Avengers.
2: And I think the
1: kind of inherent uh, mystery that's been left behind based off of what happened at both the end of Avengers Infinity War and Ant-Man and the Wasp <laughs> to some extent. Um, I think it's it's an interesting place for an audience to be like, oh, so now we're going back in time. How? What can I do with my excitement to get ready for this pivotal piece because I know they're going to play a role in the next Avengers movie? And... I can say based off of – again, we're just talking about a two-minute piece of marketing. Based yeah. based off of that, I, I can say, well, I understand what they're presenting me. And yes, I can go on the fact that it's Marvel, so I'll probably be entertained regardless, uh, to, whether it's to a high degree or to a middling degree. Uh, I at least have the sense that, okay, there's a lot of people that I – generally think are talented involved in this thing what they're showing me there are trait there are elements here that i appreciate as far as a a a film goer that can appreciate things that are beyond just the fact that it exists i want to see where that goes i guess (laughs) yeah and i and i I don't think an audience would deny that as far as given that avengers is you know a two billion dollar movie most people i think are in a similar sense as far as I want to see what this piece is because I know it means a lot for the next thing. And I wonder how much that leads into things when it when it comes down to marketing these days for these franchise things where, especially something like this where it's a universe, where you know it's a built-in parts of something that's going to lead to something greater. Uh, I wonder how much consideration Disney has for that kind of thing. They must have some at the very least, right? Oh, I
2: would think so. <laughs> I would think so. I mean, I mean, if anything, everyone watches these Marvel movies back-to-back because they love those little, like, scenes at the end, you know, the mid credit or the end credit scenes that kind of connect the dots to something to come and uh, kind of going off what you were just talking about. Can we spoil alert at this point of Avengers Infinity War? Like the last scene of the movie kind of connects to this movie 100 percent? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that in itself, you know, kind of already has people pumped and excited regardless of what that trailer did for anyone. But going back to an earlier point, what you said about when you were watching the Black Panther trailer and how you felt, Uh I'm sure millions upon millions of women who watched this trailer got goosebumps and they were just so excited because coming off the heels of Wonder Woman, which received such rave reviews across the board and people loved it, They've been waiting for this from, a mar- from the Marvel side of this, this story. And that, I think, is going to sell a ton of tickets by itself, not to mention the fact of how closely this one's going to tie into Infinity War.
0: Well, I think the funny thing about the credit cookies is that we all obsess over them, yet nine times out of ten, the credit cookies are the thing that screw up the continuity. Yes, I mean, if you were to remove the credit cookies – Entirely, the Marvel Universe would make about ninety five percent continuous sense. <laughs> but almost every credit cookie from Incredible Hulk to Thor to Avengers to Avengers Age of Ultron and so forth and so forth is either irrelevant to the overall story or invalidated by the next sto- chapters.
1: I mean and it I feel it's I feel when you say that I get <laughs> I understand what you're saying in a literal perspective, but at the same time yeah. I just it's easy for me to give like I just don't hold it that seriously. I mean I, I like no, it. As, I like I like I, I like, I like it. I I feel like I'm in a place where I can just recognize it as I have an idea of where things are going because of this extra little bonus. Not that I need yeah. to hold it as this cardinal thing as far as well it defies this so this movie's bullshit now. Like that is like it's <laughs> not you know oh he has his own gauntlets or there's a gauntlet in Thor's thing. I'm glad that they could write off these things a little dialogue notes in the next movie or whatnot. But at the same time like yeah all right the next chapter let's see it let's go like i'm ha- i'm just happy yeah. like they, okay uh, there's a road to where we're going next that's fine i i, I don't i don't need the nuts and bolts no, and, examination and of it for, for all the, the record
0: i i find that funny now it doesn't necessarily fill me with no, money, i, I but... hear you
1: yeah uh. Um, right, it comes to the same discussion I think we have about something like the Star Wars movies, too, as far as not, to, not as not as far as credit cooks, but as far as uh, understanding that these things are a piece of a bigger puzzle that's been established and how cinema has changed in that way, where yes. you're before, you know, it's a matter of luck or the numbers say it's true. And even then, it, you know, you're not going to make something with as much money now we are in a place where everything's very pre-established and with the good things it's pre-established in a way where you know it's actually going to be followed up upon as opposed to something like The Mummy. Uh, so it's <laughs> just like, it, we can... It, that's another like aspect of how I have to judge, not how I have to necessarily, but how I look to judge certain things where I can't, I'm not going to measure every movie the same as every other movie because that just doesn't make any sense. I'll measure to whatever standard I decide to hold that movie to because that's what makes the most sense to me. And I can look past something as far as knowing that it's setting up another movie if the rest of the movie works because, yeah, I get it. I get what you have to do here for this thing. If the rest of it holds water, sure. I, whatever. That's that's fine that you had to take a two-minute break to explain some character or something or some plot point that might be important the next time around. I can, I can yeah, move with I mean, that.
0: You know, yeah. I have zero problem with the whole Thor takes a bath scene in Age of Ultron. You know, and even as someone that, yes, the movie's growing on me since I saw it three years ago, but nonetheless... It drove me nuts to see people like that. Two minute sequence was somehow automatic fail for this two and a half hour movie. Like, who cares? Go to go to the bathroom, get popcorn, <laughs> come back, and you know you haven't missed anything. They're doing you a favor.
1: I was. Uh, I have another question before we wrap up all this Captain Marvel talk. Um, I remember Captain America, the first Avenger, Captain America, has in its credit cookie. Speaking of credit cookies, um, it becomes a trailer for Avengers, right? Yes. Has any other movie done that? Like, had a trailer for the Back next... To the no, 3.
0: Back to the Future 3? Back
1: to the Future 3. I can think of so Yeah, Matrix, Matrix Reloaded. Matrix Revolutions. Revo- Rigs Reloaded. Reloaded. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay, yes. so for... Yeah, in and the movie. And Fifty for Shades them. Darker.
1: It does? It has a trailer for the next movie in that movie? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Uh, I, I didn't see yeah. the the follow-up of the of the Fifty Shades saga after
0: the first one. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> and, well, now The Purge, right? It had that the preview for the TV show
0: in the movie, right? Which, to be fair, so far, it's very disconnected. I mean, I'm only it like is. two or yeah, two episodes I've in, i watched the first but...
1: two, and I'm like, all right, this is a thing, I
0: guess. Yeah,
1: I just, uh, I'm just, I'm just trying to think if there's how good. many movies have What really you're asking
0: there. is, are they gonna have the courage to hold off the Avengers four trailer to the end of Captain Marvel? And I hope so. That would be awesome.
1: I mean, Marvel's such a machine. I don't doubt that they'll be able to just do yeah. whatever kind of connecting line, or like Captain Marvel's yeah. like, oh, Sam needs my help, like whatever, <laughs> like runs out of the building. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... Um... She calls him Sam, too. That's her nickname for Nick Fury. She calls him by his actual after name. That's, the, that's a pet name. <laughs> it just makes sense. Uh, I feel Love like... you,
0: would Nick. Terrace. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: all right. We've been going along on the Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel co-rides in theaters, uh, what is it? March 8th, 2019. Yes. Um, International
0: Women's Day.
1: Is that International Women's Day? Yes. Huh. Obviously, that's on purpose, but okay. Um, let's get past some stuff. No, it's not on purpose.
0: <laughs> well, it's also it's the same weekend <laughs> that Disney has dropped a lot of their big you know, tale ish movies. Rickland Time, Alice in Wonderland, Oz the Great and Powerful, et etc. et cetera. Beauty, uh, Cinderella. No, wait, shit. Cinderella?
1: I'll have to look that
0: up. Cinderella was, was March. It was the beginning of March. Yeah, yeah, but I think it was, might have been mid-March. I'll have to double check. Okay. I know Beauty and the Beast was mid-March. Because Logan got the International Women's Day weekend in uh, 2017, as is appropriate. <laughs> 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 All
1: right, let's. Uh, we talked a lot about Captain Marvel and other things. We're going to move on from trailers. We're going to get to some. Let's get to some reviews because we saw a lot of movies and I want to talk about them. So let's get to the first one. Let's talk about the House of a Clock in Its Walls. Uh, this is a movie. It's directed by Eli Roth. It stars Jack Black and Kate Blanchett. A lot of magic, <laughs> some scary things. Let's go from there. Scott Mendelson, what did you think of the movie?
0: I very much enjoyed it. Um, I think it does exactly what it sets out to do. It tells a kid-friendly horror movie that is just scary enough to make young kids think they're getting away with something. And it does not skimp on the emotional stakes. You know, it's, it's, it's you know, no spoiler, it's not filled with blood and gore. It's a PG-rated film. But what it lacks in carnage, it makes up for in, you know, emotional stakes and honest human interaction. And in that sense, it doesn't tone down and doesn't patronize. Uh, Jack Black and Kate Blanchett are terrific together. They have a wonderful sort of quasi-sparring friendship that, you know, is very much rooted in mutual fondness for each other. The kid, whose name escapes me and I apologize. Owen Vaccaro. Uh, thank you. Uh, he is fine. I mean, you know, it's, 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 he has to do the heavy emotional lifting. He has to do all the big dramatic beats. What I hoped would happen, happened, which is that Like Adam Sandler doing the PG animated Hotel Transylvania, you have a guy like Eli Roth that is known as a very R-rated, very grindhouse filmmaker who is very good at what he does. He is a good filmmaker. Therefore, the hope is that when you take away the easy shock value tools of violence and gore and nudity and profanity and force him to be a bit more disciplined and restrained, you get a movie... That does all the things that he does well, and also succeeds without the easy shock value. So, like Hotel Transylvania, this is a distilled Eli Roth in an even purer form. In that sense, it's arguably his best film.
1: I was just going to ask you Uh, if you, with all all that in mind, would you say it's his Um, best movie?
0: And I like most of his films to a relative degree. I think Hostel Two is mostly very good. I, I. I think the battery sequence is a bit over the top, but, that's oh, well, that's kind of that's 11 what, years ago. That's what
1: most people come to come for to begin with, and it just happens yeah. to have, I think, a layer of commentary that works. Really. Yeah. I like both hostile films, by the way. Yes. I, I think they're no, both-
0: I, I like this first one, too. Um, I like The Green Inferno. I think it works as a somewhat angry, you know, social screed. And Cabin Fever is fine. I mean, it is what it is. Let's um, pop. Let's pause, pause Because I, I
1: want to get to I want to get get to Menzel's real quick before we go on a a, a long tangent on Eli
0: Roth's career. Um, <laughs> Be <a> tangent? No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I want to say that I completely agree with Mendelssohn when he said that uh, Eli Roth, uh, this is his best film. I completely agree with that statement. Um, un- unlike you, though, I actually don't think Eli Roth is a very good filmmaker. Uh, I have not liked really any of his films, even though I've watched almost all of them. Um, But this was a nice change of pace. What was most interesting about this film is two things. The one is that I guess Jack Black is now becoming the Halloween-esque kind of like family-friendly guy for movies. Which is weird to think about that like he's he went from being like tenacious D and being like the the plucky comedic sidekick in, like, PG-13 and like PG thirteen and R rated movies to now being family the face of family friendly entertainment and I does mean, it so much I, I would I would say like he's he's, he's balanced that that he, he's balanced that.
1: He's balanced that pretty well as far as like School of Rock and what like, Notre Libre and uh...
2: But those were – don't you feel like those were geared a little bit more towards like an older audience?
0: I, where like I Libra was PG. Not Libra is PG. Yeah. And,
2: and, and
0: it's, yeah. About, it's
1: about him saving children. School of Rock about him yeah. teaching children. And, no, uh, that
0: was a hardcore Nickelodeon
1: sell. What's it? What's it? Oh, um, yeah. Uh, what? Uh, what's the other thing? The, uh, I mean it's not good. Solvers travels, so, so, go, Sul- Gulliver, oh, Gulliver's Gulliver's travels. Gulliver's Travels. Yeah. No
2: one saw that one though. I know. They did overseas. Oh, did it? Okay. Oh, yeah.
1: And I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to put you down as far as you've like did something and like these the face of the Kung Fu Panda franchise. But I mean, I think he's been balancing doing a balancing act between being kind of big comedy guy suitable for all audiences, as well as being a guy that can take a little more risque chances every now and then.
2: Well, well, even go, then going off that even more of uh kudos to him because he's, you know people like Eddie Murphy and Steve Martin tried to do something like this and it has not worked well for them.
1: That I'll agree so, with. Cause I, 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 that's the exact thing I kind of want to say about Jack Black is that, and I'm sorry, I don't want to derail too much. I want to let you keep going, but I just want I do want to point out that I do think Jack Black has been, regardless of some of the films, a pretty de- dependable film presence over the past few decades. I th- Cause I really like Jack Black and me I, too. I, I, I think he's such a tremendous force of like exuberance and energy and, and like, um, like a sense of like, um, I don't know, optimism where it's like, regardless of what he's in, he seems like a guy that wants to have a great time all the time in a way that's infectious.
0: I I would also argue he is a good actor. No, I agree too. You know, I think he was excellent in King Kong. I think he's great in stuff like Bernie and the Poker King.
2: Uh And I
0: think one of the reasons Jumanji works is because he takes a character that could have been played very broadly, which is basically, he's a woman in, in a man's body and he plays it totally flat. I mean, totally grounded. He doesn't go for the easy laugh. He doesn't go for the easy joke. He basically is the straight man in that movie, even though he's playing the most ridiculous character. And that's one of the reasons that that film works as well as it does.
2: I agree. I, I think he's the best part of Jumanji. Yep. Yeah. So um, I'm sorry,
1: Scott. Keep going. What were you no, <laughs> you no, no,
2: no, that? no. No, but the, no. It's I'm glad you, you you chimed in on that because you're you're absolutely right. I don't know why I didn't connect the dots back to those other movies. Maybe because they're I okay. feel like they're so far, no, not, not forgettable, but like so far, far, you know, a long time ago. But, um you know, I guess I'm just connecting goosebumps because like Mendelssohn was pointing out in one of his many articles is that, you know, Jack Black has two movies coming out within like a month of one another. And it, it's pretty interesting to kind of, they have a very similar tone. So I guess that's why I pointed out. Um, the other thing that I did want to say about the movie is that, Um, I love seeing Kate Blanchett in a role like this and her, her back and forth banter with black was perfect, but also it just looked, it was nice to see her just having fun, but also being utilized. Um, Earlier this year, she was in oceans eight, which I felt like she was very, anyone could have been in that. Anyone could have been in that role. She didn't really do anything to sell that movie or that performance, but here, you know, there's a there's a point in this film where she kind of, you know, is is sort of underdeveloped in the beginning, and then all of a sudden she springs into the action, and you you almost feel like the those tingles, like those goosebumps start happening, and like oh my god, yes, it's another awesome female character who's you know kicking uh, kicking ass and taking names. So I really well, love that.
0: I think Kate Blanchett as slowly and you know I often sort of look into this. You know, she's someone that we think of as a very serious actress, and for good reason. She's one of the best actresses of her generation. But I think if you look at her filmography, she has almost as much unapologetic pulp fiction. You know, Indiana Jones, Thor, this Robin Hood. Don't forget, she yeah. wasn't that. Yeah. Um, you know, um, a movie, the, a, a really films. a really
1: Scott movie that was all laughs and giggles, as we all
0: remember. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's still it's schlock. Um, <laughs> okay. And I'm not just saying that because I don't like it. I um, it's just know, like, I, it's like a, a, if you're going to pile
1: Kate Blanchett films together as yeah. far as the schlocky ones, I mean, you're looking at Galadriel and yeah. Oceans and Thor, and you're like, and the like super serious Robin Hood movie that she was into.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, mean, I, 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 I often talk about Anthony Hopkins and Scarlett Johansson as two actors that are considered somewhat serious performers that I think are much more at home and better in unapologetic Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. And I have to, you know, I, I think Kate Blanchett is someone who, I'm not going to say better or worse, because she's usually pretty good, is just as at home as the villain in Indiana Jones, The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, as she is in something like Carol. So I think Eli Roth, to his credit, you know, he knows that Jack Black is very a very trustworthy name for this kind of kid-friendly fantasy. And he also knows that Kate Blanchett is someone that will, won't embarrass herself in the, you know, the goofy fantastical stuff, and when the drama comes up, she will treat it like Shakespeare, and she does. There is a late thir- third act sequence that's genuinely heartbreaking, and that's what kicks the emotional climax into gear, and that's why the movie ends as well as it does. Here's a question. Oh,
1: I have a, I have a question, real quick, just to, it's a sidebar us a bit. When you say an actor feels more comfortable, or or at least just as comfortable in something unapologetic Pulp Fiction. Are there actors that you think aren't good at that, that are just strictly good at being in drama?
0: Tim Robbins is pretty terrible in Green Lantern. (laughs) Uh, And I, I will defend that movie more than most people, but he does not feel comfortable there at all. Um... Honestly, I mean,
1: you mentioned Tim Robbins. That said, he feels perfectly at home when he like pops up an anchor man in part of the giant Anchor that's Brawl cool. or Tenacious D in the Piccadence and he's speaking of Jack Black. He feels like he's <laughs> all about like putting on random wigs and makeup and just goofing off with his buddies for a while.
0: Um, this is the guy from Tape. This
1: is Tape Heads, Tim Robbins. I mean, we're talking
0: here. Um. Honestly, I've never given any thought to the opposite of that. Just because up until recently there weren't that many super-duper mega-blockbuster movies. Like, you know, we're to the point where something like The Clock of the House and His Walls that 20, 30 years ago would have been an A movie for kids is now glorified counter-programming. Fair. Um... But that is an excellent question that I would like to
1: ponder. I don't think I don't think there's not examples of that. I'm just curious if there's yeah. any offhand that you can think of as far yeah. as no, no. actors that because I I do question that. Like I just the other day I was I was thinking about actors that just never do comedy or I never really see do comedy. I was thinking, what Jeremy Irons gonna like slapstick it up and something? <laughs> <laughs> What's he gonna I mean, be he's in? A, funny. He he can be. Well, yeah, I mean, he's funny in a droll sort of way. when he gets yeah, these well, tossed that's, off one liners. But when he's know. when's like I remember I saw him once. He was on a We'll get back to House on the Clock. The he was on like <laughs> a, he was on a late night show, and like the 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 uh, Fairly Brothers were like the guests before him, and then he came out afterwards. And then he looked at one point. He's like, "No one ever tells Jeremy. No one ever tells me Jeremy Irons to be in a comedy. I'd love to be in one of your guys' comedies." I'm like, "I'd love <laughs> to see Jeremy Irons in a Fairly yeah. Brothers comedy. <laughs> he, he should be Mahershala Ali in Green Book. That's what I'm saying."
2: Harrison
0: Ford said the exact same thing. This was back when like something about Mary came out, and he was I think he was plugging Six Days Seven Nights or whatever, and like you know Conan O'Brien asked him, you know, what would you like to be in a Farley Brothers? And he goes, Yeah, I, I can't do his voice, but you know, yeah, of course I would. And you know, I, I, Harrison Ford. I mean, yeah, he's done more comedy of late. Well, I, don't, I guess Anchorman if that counts, but he's he's also a pretty funny guy because he's so droll because he's unexpectedly funny. You know, a Christopher Walken or a Patrick Stewart or something like that.
1: Yeah, I feel um, like he doesn't quite lean into it, which is what makes it funny. I think that's yes, and I think he knows that, which I which is good for him. Yeah, like yeah, like Anchorman is example, or even like, but he's not. I mean, he's not doing like De Niro stuff where it's like, let me just be crazy, bonkers, or yeah. great, dirty grandpa or whatever. Like he's not doing yeah. that that le- that level of <laughs> going off the walls of his insanity. I think like Morning uh. Morning Glory is the closest he got. I would say with something like yes. that. Well, anyway. oh, I think
0: also, you know, comedy is harder than drama. It is. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've always believed that. It always drives me nuts when you have, oh, I'm shocked that Melissa McCarthy gives a compelling dramatic performance. Well, of course she can. Mm. She's a winning comedian. That's that's half the battle, if not more so. So, um, anyway. I
1: th- I like *The House of the Clock, but it's walls too. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I, I think it's a very enjoyable movie. I was impressed. Not necessarily impressed, but I, I did, because I... I guess I'm more or less a fan of Eli Roth. Like, I like some of his things. I don't like all of his things. Um, But at the same time, I think much like we're talking about with actors and the way... See, I can tie these things back together because I'm a good podcast host. Uh, Much like we talk Uh about with actors um, and how they can balance between doing something broad or something dramatic and personal, it's it's neat to see Eli Roth be in a position where he has to hold himself back from leaning into the sensibilities that made him a popular horror name and do something that works for a you know a much broader audience a younger audience especially and it's neat to see that happen i i think much like like guillermo del toro talks about this although he hasn't quite delivered as much because he just gets involved in so many projects but he was like kind of head of story at dreamworks for a while or whatever the animation when he was like consult a visual consultant on a lot of things seeing films made for fit you know family-friendly audience for kids that aren't afraid to you know, sanitize themselves for the sake of having kids have happy smiles on their face all the time or thinking that they're too innocent to deal with any kind of heavy theme or macabre imagery that was suitable in the 80s and early 90s because so we don't get as many things like Monster Squad or Labyrinth or what have you. You These nostalgic things that, um, for better or worse, certainly, you know, could provide some scares. I'm not going to say House of the Clock with its Walls is super scary, for kids, or if I was a kid, I would be like slightly, you know, slightly held aback because of its imagery. But I don't think it's on that right track. It's on the good, like, it. it there's a reason why this is an Amblin production. Oh. I mean, well, there's.
2: But there, I would I would have to comment on that. Those people who were there are a lot of people who are afraid of dolls. Uh huh. Yeah. And, and the doll scene in this movie, is <laughs> pretty te- it's pretty terrifying.
1: I would I would agree to a point because I think the image of those dolls is scary. I just think Jack Black's commentary through it, I, yes. I think that help. I think that, and I, obviously that's not on purpose because you don't want to terrify kids with doll yeah. imagery. But I think the amount of things that he says to kind of, you know, deflate the tension in that scene. I do think would hold me back if I was a kid from being more scared than I would if he wasn't around to kind of chime in on the fact that it's so obviously scary. (laughs) Well,
0: and there's, you know, it was, you know, I don't want to give one scene credit for a movie, but you know, my son who's seven years old mentioned that he wanted to see this, and I wasn't sure because you know he still gets scared by stuff that kids get scared at. But the scene that they had in the trailer with the pumpkins attacking everybody that was done with a very tongue-in-cheek feeling to okay. This, this, this made the movie feel safe, basically. And he liked it. I mean, he covered his ears during some of the scary parts. He laughed at the funny parts and had a good time. You know, he's old enough to understand that, you know, movies aren't real and, you know, scary movies are supposed to be scary, sad movies are supposed to be sad. But, you know, not everybody wants to willingly fork over ten bucks to be scared. But I think you're right, Aaron. I think Blanchett and especially Jack Black were very much able to diffuse the horror so it was sort of the fun kind of
1: scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, yeah. I and I'm not saying it's not without its level of tension, not without its yes. level of, um, of spookiness. Uh, I got to find all these adjectives for scary. Um, it's, um, it, it has its, you know, it has its moments that I think are, I, I think that book scene is kind of scary actually, where there's like books yes. flag all over it. It's getting, it's putting paper cuts on the kid's arm. It's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of spooky. Like that's, that's kind of, uh, that, that, that could be a, a, a scary thing to deal with. That said, as a whole, the movie's fine. I mean, it's better than fine. It's a lot of fun. I do, th- I agree with you guys on Jack Black and Kate Blanchett. I wish they had more scenes together as far as them just making fun of each other or just exchanging quips. Like, yes. I-, I can imagine a single whole outtake reel of them doing those things. Um, and I'm also very, because I know Jack Black could probably do it. I'm very curious if Kate Blanchett's coming up with things off the wall, off the, you know, on the fly, or if uh, if, um, if, they're, if if they're scripted. I'm sure it's probably a mix of both. But regardless, no, it's good stuff. I think the, the house with the clock in its, the titular house with the clock in its wall, Is quite a house. It's the kind of thing where I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't really think this movie, the movie's bigger than it seems. Like it, it it rarely leaves this house. It leaves for like a graveyard and a school. Uh, But other than that, it's pretty much set entirely in this house. But you don't really feel that. And I, I can, I can see why the movie didn't cost that much. It's because they only have one main location. But they do so much with it, and that's impressive to me. I think the production design of this movie is pretty spectacular. Oh, it is. It's being set in, like, 1955. It has these great costumes and, you know, these effects that I think work for the most part. I think they're all, like, a lot of fun. But, yeah, the house design itself, it's it's very well done.
2: It reminded me in a lot of ways of, like, movies from, like, kids' movies from the 80s and the 90s. And the way that, you know, I just feel like something like this – isn't made as often anymore. You know, I think we've we've always talked about this as as critics and you know people who comment on uh, films in general. Seeing this had a, a a odd sense of nostalgia for me while watching it, uh, where I felt like, oh my god, this this kind of has I think it's a better movie, but it kind of has like a hocus pocus type vibe to it. Yes. Yeah, no, I
1: agree with oh. that, and I also agree with. I think this is a better movie than Hocus Pocus. I think Hocus <laughs> Pocus is just fine. Um, yeah, um, regardless, I've never seen it. It's fine. Everybody says eh, whatever. It has its fans, oh. and good for them. I, 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 think it's fine. I haven't seen it in full in years, so I probably think I to it, but I did, so I'll just leave it at that. I'll just say it's probably fine. It's probably, it's probably, it's probably still just fine.
2: It's um, def- it's definitely worse if you rewatch it. So don't do it.
0: Yeah. yeah um
1: i won't i won't take I, I, that trip
2: to the el capitan to see the
1: special screening with a sing-along whatever the hell they do with there. <laughs> no
0: <laughs> but no I, I do think you're obviously you're correct they don't make movies like this anymore i think that's one of the casualties when sort of everything shifted to the four quadrant blockbuster where we we lost you know the hard adult pictures for a while and we lost the pure kid films yes but i do think you know it's 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 boy, I'm very happy this film did well, is there have been a few films here and there that have played in this sandbox, but there's nothing like Monster Trucks or AXL, um, or even to a certain extent, Kin, that's a darker picture. Um, And you're speaking
1: speaking to movies that either cost way too much or were too under-marketed to become a thing.
0: Oh, absolutely. But nonetheless, they were ignored Mm -hmm. by the populace at large. And what the monster trucks that drove me nuts was that how everybody made fun of the movie before it even came out. Oh, I know. And, it was uh, weird. It was like, I, I, it's not a great film, but had it come out in 1982, it would have been remembered pretty fondly today. Yep. And that's why, you know, I'm very interested to see how Bumblebee plays because that's basically that kind of movie. And absent the IP and the major studio behind it, although it's the same studio as Monster Trucks, you know, I imagine a film like that would struggle. Because you got to remember, you know, the Iron Giant flopped 19 years ago. Yes. You know, people, They took oh, they don't make movies like that. You didn't see it back then. You know, to be fair, you were busy seeing The Sixth Sense and good for you. And they just did not market Iron Giant whatsoever. No, they didn't. So I, I do think because this is a very good version of a throwback picture, that it works both as a piece of adult nostalgia and a new movie for kids of today to enjoy. I think if Universal wants it, they have a new franchise on their hands. You know there are eleven sequels to this book, mm-hmm. wow. so they can, they can choose what they want, and you know whether or not Eli Roth wants to come back, whether or not Keith Blanchett wants to come back. I would assume if they wait for him, Jack Black will come back. You know it's 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 another good scenario of Universal kicking ass on a war, except for the Dark Universe. <laughs>
1: you know it, it, it brings us back to our conversation earlier with captain marvel about just kind of establishing a universe or establishing you know an idea for future versions before getting the first thing off the ground i think that's something that works with this movie it's relatively inexpensive or it's at least modestly budgeted because i don't have 40 million dollars lying around to make this movie um <laughs> let me hold on let me check no still don't um so i think this works as far as it's not do it's as opposed to other where other movies like this fail in recent years is because they're very expensive YA adaptations that feel like they need to make sure the tables are set for the entire series whether it's a trilogy of things or whether it's a series of books and that's why even though Scott and I start Mendelsohn and I uh, we like beautiful creatures it's like it's also doing a lot of table setting for more beautiful creatures and it's like okay that didn't go anywhere this movie that is an example of Jeremy Irons being funny it is yeah. Everybody's pretty funny in that movie. Everybody's having a ball.
0: Yeah. That, I love that movie.
1: Even Solo. Alden Aaron himself. Yes.
0: That's what convinced me that he could pull it off. And he was fine. I mean, he yeah, you know,
1: Anyway, this movie. He's mo- no more
0: to blame for that than Taylor Kitches for John Carter. Mm-hmm.
1: But, I mean, this movie. It's not going out of its way to be like, guess what? This is this is the beginning of a whole thing. It's just more yeah. like, no, this is this exists within and of itself, and if it goes on from there, that's fine. But like you can close this off and be like, All right, we made that. We did a good job. Here we are. Like we never yeah. never have to see another one of these again to feel like we didn't accomplish what we needed to the first time around. That said, if it keeps going, it easily can.
0: Yeah, and that's you know, and we'll see once the year is out. I am very excited by the idea of having what I would argue are a number of potential new franchises on the horizon Mm -hmm. that aren't necessarily based on comic book movies. I like comic book movies, but, you know, yes, and, you know, you've got, you know, the Meg, Crazy Rich Asians, Oceans 8, The Horse with the Clock on its Walls, and, you know, we'll see if, if, you know, what else, you know, obviously Venom's a comic book movie and who knows what the hell's going to happen with that. So um, you're,
1: you're saying in 2021, we're going to get the House of Two Clocks in its walls, Meg 2 Still Megan, Crazier Rich Asians, Bumblebee 2.
0: <laughs> it'll be, oh yeah, I mean, it'll, we'll get The Trench, we'll get uh, China Rich Girlfriend, we'll get Ocean's Eight and a Half. Um
1: That's where they try to we'll rob get... Fellini's grave.
0: <laughs> they succeed in robbing Fellini's grave.
1: And George Clooney um, pops up in the grave next door and is like,
0: hey guys, I'm alive. And by the <laughs> way, you are right to a certain extent that Cate Blanchett was a little bit underused in Notions 8, but the wardrobe itself is worth it. You think so? God, those outfits. I just,
2: I just, I don't know why. I mean, like you were talking about earlier, Mendelssohn, Cate Blanchett is such an incredible actress that I just, I couldn't help when, when I was watching that movie feel like she had just had nothing to do. I, I mean, no, I.
1: I, I don't have to go into a whole thing about Ocean's Eight because I don't have much more to add to that. I don't think you're necessarily wrong, <laughs> but I do think that she's not playing one of the flashier characters as far as personality goes. And, and that means
2: she's not. You mean she's not playing Anne Hathaway as it. Anne Hathaway? She's not doing that, or she's <laughs> not.
1: She's not Aquafina, or she's not like. Rihanna (laughs) who has like you know a bunch of dreads and all these things to kind of make her character stand out Uh, she's she's playing this kind of laid back like just like Brad Pitt does in the Ocean's movies I wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily say Brad Pitt's like giving the best performance in those movies but he's a welcome presence because he's comfortable and that's how Kate Blanchett seems She just seems like the comfortable friend that can like you know talk her way through things and just kind of be at ease while uh, Sandra Bullock schemes and everybody else does the more more of the heavy lifting. Again, I'm not saying yeah, it required all of her effort to do it, but I I get what she's doing in that movie. I guess.
0: Um, no, I think I think it's a very confident movie star performance, and I would argue that I you know I like the movie quite a bit. But yes, I do wish it had been either a longer or be more character-centric and less plot-driven.
1: Well, I think as, yes. as a friend, friend of the show, Brandon Peters, says, they basically pull off the perfect heist and the best heist in any heist movie ever because there's no drama whatsoever. And I think that was yes. like, that was the ultimate issue I had. It was like, yeah, everything just goes off without a hitch. There's like, yep. there's like one problem that they immediately solve. So it's like, okay, well... <laughs> The, the, the guys can learn a thing or two from these people because all of their plans have all kinds of problems that are going off at any second. <laughs> so Anything else on the House of the Clognitz Walls? No, I didn't think so, because let's move on. Uh, we got other things we can cover. Uh, <laughs> but I think we all agree that it's a good movie. It's a lot of fun. It's out in theaters now, right? Yes. Right. Yeah, okay. I want to mention this before I skip over it completely because we're out of time. I saw the House of the Clognitz Walls in IMAX. I did that for a very specific reason. First off, I'm a good Jew, so I went to Temple for Yom Kippur. But also, <laughs> because I wanted to see Thriller... In IMAX 3D. Uh, it is the one week only event where if you see The House and the Clock with its Alls, that's so much, so many words. If you see that movie in IMAX uh, for its first week of release, you get to see in IMAX, you get to see Thriller, Michael Jackson's Thriller in 3D in IMAX. It was completely restored by John Landis uh, and reformatted to fit IMAX. So it's not just like seeing the, it on, like the 14 minute Thriller music video on IMAX, it's seeing it projected as if it was an IMAX movie. And it's incredible. It's so good to see Thriller in 3D. Oh, um, I want
2: to say, I want to uh-huh. tell you that because of your article, uh-huh. I actually made, went out of my way to go see this movie on IMAX. Oh,
1: my God. So that, <laughs> yeah. Yes.
2: And, and, and honestly, it was a payoff. That was like a nice added bonus to see that in the beginning. Mm-hmm. The weird thing that I wanted to say about that was – I don't know if they thought that kids were going to be so scared of that. They actually left the lights on in my theater until that ended. <laughs> oh, wow.
1: I, I I will say this because I wrote about this in my review. I told uh, my lovely girlfriend Anna as well. Uh, when I saw Thriller at the the at the very end, they do like a final scare where one final zombie, which is played by Michael Jackson again, he kind of looks to the camera and then it, like it just like the eyes dart at the screen and you hear I yeah. think Vincent Price's laugh again. Uh, a little kid in my theater uh, got up and ran out of the theater screaming. Um, he, was, he was terrified. <laughs> by this. He was terrified. Loser. By this. If there, there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing in the house of the clock that's, that's any that's scarier than Thriller, uh, but. <laughs> I think Thriller is amazing. Scott, you already referenced this. I did write an article uh, titled, uh, 10 Reasons Why Thriller is One of the Greatest Horror Movies of All Time. I very much think that's true. Uh, It is great. It was so great to watch it, uh, but just also just to think about Thriller for like the next, you know, still now. I'm still thinking about Thriller. It's such a great time at the movies to see that on a big screen. I was so happy to have been able to have done that. So if you hear this podcast now...
0: Without remotely denigrating any of your other work, uh-huh. that was one of my favorite things you've ever written. Okay, thank you. Well, I, I,
1: I, to... I
2: liked it too. I uh, liked it too, and I have to agree. It was one of the best <laughs> things he's ever written.
1: It's pure, pure oh. passion, and that goes into talking about the thriller because it was. It's really remarkable to just, to see it again like that, but also just think about how just how good that music video is as far as yeah. yeah I'm, this is I'm definitely than this.
0: gonna check it out this week.
1: All right, so let's move on. Let's get to something. Let's go to the the most completely different thing we can talk about from House of the Clock in Walls, and let's talk with Scott Menzel about it. Uh, Life Itself came out in theaters this week. This is the new Dan Fogelman film. is he, the creator of, uh, of Life, of, uh, sorry, of This Is Us. Um, he has a movie. It's called Life Itself. It stars Oscar Isaac and Olivia Wilde and other people that I'm not sure of because I've only seen the trailer featuring the. Oh, uh, Antonio Banderas. He's in there, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I, I don't know what this movie is, honestly. I, I know it's like a, dra- a romantic drama. I think it has like multiple storylines going on in it. What is it? What is what is Life Itself and why did you like it?
2: Okay, so Life Itself is a film that's told over, God, I want to say it was at least a span of like at least 20 to 30 years okay. uh, throughout the film. It combines people from different parts of the world – Uh, The main characters start off in New York, which is um, Olivia Wilde and Oscar Isaac, their high school boyfriend and girlfriend. They fall in love. Life seems seemingly perfect, but then a weird span of events starts happening, and it connects to the other stories, which feature like Antonio Banderas, uh, Olivia Cook, and a few other people. I think the big problem this movie had going into it for most critics was that this movie is not a perfect film by any stretch of the imagination. And from what I get from most critics also is that they feel like it was constantly trying to make them cry and be emotional. But for me, what really worked about it was just how Balls out it was like it was just it was really kind of ballsy of a movie. And I expected going into this to be like a This Is Us kind of big screen adaptation where it was like very similar in tone. But this is very hard R. This is a very hard R movie where there's a lot of language. Certain things happen in this movie that you really don't expect. And it's a real big downer. And I was very surprised by that. Like, I didn't cry at any point, but I kept feeling like my gut, like I was being punched in the gut over and over again. And I I just found that, like, Oscar Isaac's performance was one of the best that I, he's ever given because I felt like it was so in-depth and it was so emotional. But it was so, like, unlike anything that I've ever seen him in before And he plays this character who's dealing with so much what's going on. And I can't really talk that much about it without spoiling the movie. But there's a lot to his character and a lot that he's taking on. And how his story ends is really, really shocking. Like I I literally turned to my wife, Ashley, and I just said, what the F, you know, (laughs) when that when it ended. And then you kind of it's it's jarring in a lot of ways how it switches gears into different storylines, because they don't quite on the surface feel like they fit together, but then they kind of get all wrapped up together in the end without giving anything away. But um, I think that's many reasons why people didn't like it. I think it's very jarring. Um, I think it it is very like, it it tries to make you cry. It tries to be emotional. And and some people who worked for a lot of people, it didn't. But I also think this is one of those movies that audiences really appreciate and critics don't because at toronto this movie got an amazing standing ovation people were cheering about this movie um most of the standard moviegoers who went to see this movie really enjoyed it i think it hasn't done that well at the box office because of how much backlash it's gotten from critics
1: what i'm hearing as far as description of the movie goes is that it seems like it wears its heart in its sleeve and it really goes big for the emotions um I haven't seen it, so like you know, I can't speak to either here or there. It's on Amazon, so eventually on Prime, so I'll probably see it at that point. So like, I hear what you're saying. I I, I can't I can't you know weigh in too much, having not having seen it. I just wonder, not necessarily if it's a critical thing, but more uh, cynicism in moviegoers in general when it comes to seeing something so nakedly present itself as far as where it's going with this kind of story. Which I think is the same kind of thing that affects movies like, as Mend- Mendelssohn, you mentioned, uh, Collateral Beauty. Or, uh, or Book of Henry. I think Collateral Beauty is a bigger example. Well, Collateral Beauty.
2: (laughs) Collateral Beauty is very weird to me because the first time I watched it, I remember saying to myself, part of True It, this seems like kind of jaded. Like, where like, I kind of like this, but I kind of don't. And then I watched, um, a lot more films that that guy wrote. What was his name? Alan. What's his name? Oh, um, um. I know I can't remember his name but it's like and then I started watching more of his films like the space between us and the only living boy in, in New uh-huh. York uh-huh. and I really started to dislike him as a writer Alan Loeb <laughs> yeah and I <laughs> and I, that,
1: I agree with you actually uh, I mean I'm not I I didn't like collateral bu- I, I think it's I don't think it's nearly the train wreck <laughs> that some people call it but I I'm not a fan of the movie Uh, But I I know
2: that that movie manipulates you because the entire movie, it's like everyone manipulating Will Smith. mm -hmm. But like this one's a lot different because I don't feel like that's going on throughout the movie. This is just one where like maybe the way that everything kind of comes together in the end of this movie is a little bit too like Hollywood, I guess you can say, or too much of a fairy tale. But when you see this movie, there's at least a couple scenes where you're kind of like, wow, they really went for it. At least that's what I t- took away from it. Like there were some scenes where I was kind of like, wow, did that really happen? Because it is ballsy at, at certain points. And- but it's also something else that no one's really talking about with this film is how culturally diverse this movie is and, and how it- it's-, it's almost like you have part of the movie that's it's. In Spain, part of the movie's in Spanish. The entire second half of the movie goes into subtitles. So I don't know. I, I, I get to a degree why people don't like it, but I, I do feel people are being overly harsh on this movie. And, and, it, and I don't think it's fair. All right. Well, fair enough. Let's keep moving because uh, I want to just keep
1: trying to cover things. Assassination Nation came out. Um, I know very little about this beyond it made, like, a ruckus um, among various festivals it was at because of, I guess, how, I don't know, uh, how um, extreme it goes, I guess, if it's subject matter. Scott Mendelson, you saw this. Mendelson? did you see it? Yes, I did. Okay, wh- wh- where are you guys at with this?
0: Mendelson's so why don't we start with you? Uh, it was very rebellious and conformist sort of way. It would have been the most shocking movie of 1994. Um... It has a lot to say. What's the what's the it, basic what's the basic premise of this thing? Basically, it's about a small town that loses its mind after a hacker or hackers starts releasing cell phone and email content to everyone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's basically the digital burn book being unleashed on the entire populace.
1: So it's about doxing. That's what it's about. Yes, hackers.
0: yes. And Eventually, the town turns most of his hatred onto the four teenage girl protagonists of the film, because for reasons, well, whatever, they are suspected of being behind it. And then it turns into basically Scarlet Letter with machine guns. Mm-hmm. Um, gets kind of purgy in the, in the final act.
1: Um, kind of purgy is always good, a, always a good place to say things
0: <laughs> okay, um
1: kind of purgy. There's good
0: stuff it's very well shot it has lots of you know it's it's very much a movie that wants you to you know that that wants you to pay attention to itself and and you know it's it, it's the acting is fine I think Bella Thorne makes one movie every six days um, she's in this briefly and um But I think it's a film where they spend so much time trying to be extreme and shocking and whatever that they kind of forget to tell its story. Uh It's an interesting story. It's a thoughtful story. And frankly, and maybe that's because I'm an old man, I was far more interested in the story of the sympathetic school principal who gets doxxed and gets vilified for content that in a vacuum is harmless. But to the, you know, uh, uh, ever prying eyes comes off as salacious and scandalous. So, you know, me, I wanted to I'd rather follow the adults in this story. Um, yeah, I, I, I. Yeah, go ahead.
2: I just I, 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 I hated this movie so much. Fair enough. I, I saw it. I saw it at Sundance. And I would, you know, like after all that hype, everyone was saying, like, this is so crazy and wild. And I agree with you, too, on that is that the movie just kind of sets itself up where you're following these girls and not, they're not particularly interesting and they're kind of, and I'm sure this is probably done on purpose, but they're very much like stereotypes. I feel like very skanky and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And like, you're supposed to like feel bad for them. And then Joel McHale is in it playing Joel McHale. And it's just, I, after a while it's just it like it's beating you over the head with the message and it, it it's not nearly as clever as it thinks it is mm-hmm. nor is it nor is it as interesting as it
0: thinks it is either uh no i mean there's there's huge chunks of the movie that are just the four protagonists sitting around in their room and looking at their phones and having very vapid conversations with each other. I'm not saying I wanted the film to be all nonstop action, but you know, it, it wants to be a drama first, but the drama, at least among the kids, for the first half of the movie is not very interesting. No,
2: not at all. And then it kind of goes off the wall in the second half, or I guess the you know the the second half, yeah, the second half of the movie. And I just feel like when they try to do that little twist at the end, I was like, this this is so lame.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and it it's it's unfortunate because the film has a lot to say. Um, I mean, there's, there's, although having said that, and this sort of comes back to the whole, you know, what's the value of message movies in this day and age, where the film ends on a monologue that is very potent and very much accurate, but it's also the kind of thing that you could find on a Facebook meme. Yes. So, you know, it's, it's, it's also, frankly, it's a, it feels very much stereotypically like a feminist film made by dudes.
2: Oh, 100 percent, because I I feel like the way that it it so exploits the women in the movie pretty much throughout.
1: Yeah, that's 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 the kind of thing that they I I have no say because I don't I didn't see the movie. But as far as uh, a movie of this type uh, and you mentioned kind of how you can justify it in the same span of time as you can watch like a meme. That makes sense to me. That's something I can I can connect with as far as why I don't necessarily need to go out out of my way to see certain movies. So it's like I get what you're telling me. I get I get what you're showing me already. Uh, do I need to spend two hours with this? No, probably not. And that's uh, just going on the outside looking in as far as this Assassination Nation goes. I was like, I feel like I know what you're going to do and I don't feel like any span of time I spend with this is going to give me uh, any further clarification on what message you're trying to send out here.
2: You know, and what's what's also weird about this is that I remember this was one of the movies at Sundance that had like a huge bidding war. And I remember seeing it and saying to myself, who the hell who the hell is bidding <laughs> on this? Like who's who wants to see this? And then the the terrible like marketing that they have tried to do with this movie, like they brought it for a panel at Comic-Con and like they put it at the end of the day, and like Hall H is emptied out before it even you know played. And, you know, obviously the box office for this, there's no buzz whatsoever for this movie. You know, it, it all kind of like it showcases it's almost like the
0: patty cakes of this year where like nobody really saw it and no one really cares to see it. Well, I think there's it, it's sort of the new normal as I'm always complaining about for the last two years, which is that, you know, in this day and age films that might've been, you know, a Sundance sensation or a word of mouth darling just plays to empty theaters because nobody shows up. Cause you know, they're, you know, something like life itself. I, I personally, you know, again, I haven't seen it, but you know, a movie like that was almost always going to be dead in the water just because yeah. why pay a movie theater prices when you can watch This Is Us for free? Mm hmm. Um, and makes, to a certain extent, that's, no, go ahead. It makes me what I
1: mean, because both Life itself is on like over 2,500 screens, Assassination Ace so was surprisingly, I didn't realize this, it was on like 1,400 screens. And I was like, do we. I don't. I try to understand like how studios function, especially smaller ones. I mean, because like Neon has this, right, Assassination
0: Nation. Yeah, and they were trying for a beat tilt style release, which they give it a semi-wide release mm-hmm. in specific theaters that they okay. think like genre stuff with very minimal digital marketing. But to do that, you still need to get about three million dollars in opening weekend to make your money back. Yeah, and, and just, they didn't pull that
1: off. It just—I don't—I don't see where this like appeal is to to kind of yeah. market it in that same way. Life is us. Life itself. Life itself. I can get that to an extent. I don't think it was ever going to pan out if you going to release it on a twenty-six hundred screens. But I, I, could, I, could see, I could see someone flocking to that more readily than I could see someone flocking to it, which I guess shows, because you made one million more dollars at the box office than the other. Yes. <laughs>
0: um, but... I was very lonely on Friday.
1: <laughs> but um, I just, but like, Scott Benzel, you mentioned like a bidding war for this, and I have to agree. It's like, at what point are is Neon looking at this like, we need to spend as much money as we can to acquire this so we can get the people that are dying to see this movie to see this movie this when it comes movie. out in the theaters?
2: This movie will make less money than Three Identical Strangers. Mm-hmm. Think about that.
0: <laughs> well, Three Identical <laughs> Strangers is a miracle. It I mean, is. That's, that's, I, but it's an amazing I, movie, too. Yeah. But again, you know, had this film done, you know, even, you know, BH tilt level numbers, you know, eight to eleven million dollars, they would have been fine. But or even that, you know, I mean, six or seven, there's, you know. I think Green Inferno did like six or something. But
1: do you, Okay, do you think there's a world where they thought this was... I mean, obviously they did, they bought it, but was there was there a means that made sense in your eyes that's like, we definitely no. need to bid on this so we can get it, so we can make it to make that amount of money? Because I, I don't see... The on, only the, way on the, on the think... outside looking in, I just wonder how studios function somehow yeah. where they can spend this amount of money and think of this thing when I, being a person that does not work for a movie studio, and can only go off the amount of knowledge that I gain from reading Scott Mendelssohn's box office articles, and what I I see in pop culture, I can tell immediately that's not going to make money. Why is there not someone in a studio that can see that same thing?
0: Because they don't read my stuff. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, jokes aside, I mean, it is the new normal. Where you really, you know, where any movie that comes out that isn't the weekend's designated tentpole, I'm basically holding my breath, you know, to the that I care, or, you know, I'm trying to figure out, like, how am I going to, you know, find 500 words to write about why this film flopped, when you know why it flopped, because nobody sees these kind of movies anymore. Well, and not twice, only
2: that, the marketing is terrible. The marketing yeah. this whole movie sucks, and I mean, they, they screened it at Sundance, and that was, like, the big push, but they did nothing for it leading up to it, and I mean, they, that that wrong the the only marketing that i i i I just spoke about with comic-con what a bad marketing decision that was and like it didn't fit there there was no talk about it It, it's it's like there was no surprise to me that this was dead in the water but also they should have known out of sundance with how the buzz for this like is was bs because I saw this movie with a bunch of people and people were really mixed on this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I think critics were like, oh, it's so great and out there. But like most of the people who came out of the theaters were kind of like, that was not good. Yeah, and when you say they, critics.
1: They, I mean, it has a 65 percent, which shows mixed like that's what I mean, right,
2: but okay. right, exactly. But that's always what you know, this I'm sure, you know, this Mendelssohn knows this for sure, is that outside of film festivals, most of the time, there's almost like this padding that comes out for most films like Venice Film Festival last year. Remember, downsizing was like really strong. And then it went on to a couple other film festivals, and then it started going down and down and down.
1: Oh yeah, there's a yeah. there tends to be a, a festival bump as far as enthusiasm because you know the the filmmakers and stars oh, are there and whatnot. There's, there, there's 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 an inherent thought of. I can support this more because I'm in this kind of tizzy where I can appreciate everything that's coming out of this. Thing. For the for a lot of it, there's some that just oh, don't okay. get that. What's there's a lot of it that just don't get that whatsoever. But there's also ones that carry that through. I mean, say, you you talk about downsizing. You can say the same thing about Shape of Water or Three Billboards to the opposite degree, where it just yes. went up and up from there for those films yeah. as far as the kind of acquaint- the three billboards seems there, there was a little bit of backfire there. Um, even though you know it is an Oscar-winning film, that's uh, quite good. But Shape of Water, I mean, that's like it, things didn't stop from there. Like I, I get, no. I get what you're saying. I mean, it it, it seems like it can go either way. I guess. Is what
2: well, I'm it's like, well, if you want to make an, uh, here's another argument. Like, even though critics love Call Me by Your Name, no one saw that fucking movie. I'm
0: sorry, no one saw <laughs> that like, damn movie. Well, and nobody was ever going to
2: and that's no, what drove no. me
0: nuts People, oh you know the film was badly marketed so many yeah, no. really? is there some no, role we'll that movie that. 50 million dollars? Yeah, no. no no maybe if it comes out in you know 1978 the only movie <laughs> you played for a month and then you adjust it for inflation in 2018 dollars then yeah okay that magically comes out to 50 million dollars right, I mean, right it's,
1: it's pretty fast paced it has a lot of explosions I don't know why it didn't it uh, really does
0: <laughs> yeah um, and that's that what you know, <laughs> It drives me nuts to people – and, yeah, part of this is me being grouchy because some of these people are my competition, yada, yada, yada. But, like, people that should know better, like, on on what earth did you expect Silence to be a hit? Yeah, I know. And I like Silence. Most of us like Silence to a certain extent. But it's like like the least commercial movie ever. Mm -hmm. Or, like, you know, Logan Lucky. You know, Steven Soderbergh is going to revolutionize distribution. No, he's (laughs) not because no one's going to see that movie. Right, right, or you know, Bad Samaritan, which I enjoyed, by the way. You know, they, they were you know, the company was doing interviews. We're going to revolutionize distribution by having the fans help us. No, you're not, because no one's going to see that movie.
1: Right, right. That's that's produced it, by a Legion M, um, who produced Hooper's yeah. Mandy, which also came out, which is a uh, a a fan funded production company, which is interesting.
0: At least they went VOD on that, uh-huh. which, frankly, was the right call.
1: Yep. Um, oh yeah, I could I could imagine the. The articles that scream about Mandy, or it's like it's a two-hour movie where half of it, it's like it's like this mood piece. No one's gonna see yeah. that. Uh
0: my wife still pissed at me over that one because I I thought it was gonna be a more conventional grindhouse Nicolas Cage film.
2: I could have told it you was it was not.
0: not. <laughs> <Well, laughs> yeah.
2: Speaking of which, that was also at Sundance this year, and they did the right thing with that one, which is the same format it should have went for: Assassination Nation, yes. right to VOD,
0: or do you know some theaters with VOD and? If people show up to theaters and you expand, yeah, that's what Manly
1: did do. It has it has a very yeah. limited release with a lot yeah. at the VOD at the same time, um, which um, uh, like more movies should do. We'll talk, we'll talk about that yeah. in a bit because I want to keep going through some of these newer releases. Yes, um, I feel like we've covered a lot with, with Assassination Nation uh, 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 and, the, and the general status of movie studios that are on a smaller scale that need to think rethink some of their hiring practices. Sdx
2: <laughs> needs to wake up. STX <laughs> needs to wake up. <laughs> uh,
0: they need to make better movies.
2: Yes, they sure do. When they yep. make better films, they make money.
0: Well, yeah. Speaking of studios that
1: do work really well for me, uh, I saw The Sisters Brothers uh, this past week. Did it? Did Scott, I think you. Did you see The Sisters Brothers? I have not. Sorry, Scott I Menzel. Know. Scott Menzel. Did you see Sisters uh, Brothers? I,
2: I did. I have a much different opinion than you do, though. Okay, because I really like this movie. Fight, 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 fight. This movie.
1: <laughs> so I'll, I'll talk for you. I haven't talked in a bit as far as movies go. Um, John C. Riley, Joaquin Phoenix, Jake, Gyllenhaal, and Riz Med star in this film. It is a. It's set in Western times, although I wouldn't call it a traditional Western by any means. It's more of an offbeat Western in the same ilk as something like Slow West, which I was a big fan of with Michael Fassbender. Or even like The Coen's True Grit, which has a lot of Western things going on, but also has very much a feel of a Coen Brothers movie. Um, This... Uh, it's a film from Jacques Adiard, who did uh, Rust and Bone and A Prophet, movies I really like. Uh, this joins right in there for me. I, I think it's a very strong film. I, I really like uh, John C. Riley here. I like all the actors here. I, I like the Nightcrawler reunion. We have with Jake Gyllenhaal and Riz Ahmed. I think Joaquin Phoenix is always very good in things. But John C. Riley, he's ostensibly the lead of this film, which I have not been able to see in a while. Probably since Walk Hard, if I'm thinking clear enough um and i think he's absolutely terrific uh the p- basic plot surrounds these two brothers john c Riley and Blocking phoenix who are their last name is sisters they're the sisters brothers um they are assassins they are trying to find the riz Ahmed character and it's a it's basically it's kind of laid back in its pacing as far as they're going through the means of traveling stopping places dealing with people traveling again finding things doing what they need to do but you get the sense of that relationship as it goes on. I really liked it. I like the humor here. There's a lot of humor that takes place in this movie, although it's too gruesome, I think, to be considered a comedy. There's too many, I think, gunshots and whatnot that go, western stuff that happens to make this a, a straightforward comedy. But the drama has there's there's a there's a way it's played where. It's not quite a you know a hardcore western as I've been saying. Also, I I like this tone. I like what it's going for. I like this movie a lot. I like the visuals a lot. I think the cinematography is pretty spectacular, and I think Desplat has another great score in his hands. I, I just liked everything about this movie. I liked it all, the way it came together. But Scott, you disagree with me. What, what did you not like about this movie?
2: I think you should bring a pillow to go see this movie. Okay, because because the guy next to me when I was at watching it, Tim fell asleep on on me. Um, yeah, I I just. Everything you said, I kind of like disagree with, mm-hmm. which is great that we can talk about this, but um, I just I, I, I found it dull. I found it very lifeless. Um, I felt like it was tedious and uh, just kept going and kept going and kept going. Um, outside of John C. Riley, I thought everyone from Jake to Joaquin to Riz, was this was a very like average kind of like basic performance i felt you did know, like jake
1: gyllenhaal putting on his accents and like acting like a, this, no. this, this,
2: this ego driven guy that's like <laughs> no 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 actually i would actually argue that he was the worst part of the movie um <laughs> and i and i just i i felt like for a western setting like it it was supposed to take place in oregon and in the eight i think it was like 1851 it looks like it like everyone was playing dress up and was just uh, hanging out in Colorado right now and just uh, filming something. Yeah. And and the score was totally not fitting of the time period and it was kind of distracting. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm it's it's odd. You and I, I mean, I know you and I tend to either really agree or really disagree. It's very interesting with us usually. Um, but this is one where I, I we, we really disagree. I don't know how you see
1: lifeless in this thing. I just, I liked so much of like what it was. I like this kind of, it has, it does have like, I could, when you say tedious, I can understand that to a point as far as there is a lot of these care it's less about these characters getting to their goal and more about what happens on the way. And given the pacing of this film and the relationships between Riley and Phoenix and Gyllenhaal and Ahmed, I can see that as, you know, it has a lot of slack to it. But I was just into it. I was just into these guys doing the things that they're doing. I would say more so Riley and Phoenix. I mean, I don't think this is a perfect movie. I do think the Gyllenhaal, Ahmed stuff, it can be... There's a lot of it, and not all of it's as interesting as, I think, the relationship between the sisters, brothers. Um, but I do I do like what I was seeing. I I, I do like the... I, I, like, I like the anachronistic tone it kind of has, especially even in the dialogue. Like, yeah, the score... I think it's purposely off-putting because yes, it is. It is different than, I guess, what you'd expect in an average classic western or even a spaghetti western. Um, but even in the dialogue, I it's very purpose. It's I wouldn't necessarily say it's modern, but I mean it's not trying to evoke the, the time of the California Gold Rush either. I mean it, it's it very it, the the way Phoenix and Riley speak to each other. It, it wouldn't be unfounded in a film from the seventies or now or you know the twenties like it could go anywhere and I I kind of appreciated that I appreciated that it's
2: it's stylistic in its own way I I liked I liked what it was going for it was weird because um I felt like when watching Joaquin Phoenix in this movie mm-hmm. like it almost reminded me of him playing himself in a cowboy outfit um it just it just was so bland um and and you talk about like just stuff taking a while to like get to where it's going taking its time it's just like everything that happened like took 15 minutes too long if this again i feel like if this movie was about like 90 minutes instead of like two hours i might have enjoyed it a little bit more and might have been more forgiving on some of the aspects of it but I would even say that the jokes in it, and it's funny because we, we, we were just talking about film festival audiences is that I saw this in a huge theater with about it wasn't like the actual premiere, but like uh, like a press screening with about like 800 people. It was like in one of the hugest screens they had. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when the jokes happened, I would say about five to six people like chuckled at it. Where like the rest of the theater was just kind of like blank stares and kind of like whatever. And I don't know if you guys ever do this when you're watching a movie, whether it's press screenings or if you guys do festivals or not. I always look at look around in in theaters. And I mean, there were not only was the guy next to me sleeping, but there were multiple people freaking sleeping in this movie. And there was a lot of people kind of going out, a lot of bathroom breaks. And I, I think that really says something about the movie. Uh, and how it how it, it i doubt this movie will find an audience i guess that's what i should say it's another one of those movies where i feel like it's made very specifically for like a, a, a hardcore film film lover or like an art house lover i don't see this movie having any sort of mainstream appeal whatsoever
1: well, i could agree with that but i'm also I'm not judging it on how far it's going to go with an audience i just judging it on did i like this movie and i did <laughs> and, I, and it it makes yeah. it makes sense to me that it's coming from annapurna pictures which is a studio that doesn't tend to go super big with their releases. Uh, Detroit, notwithstanding, even sorry to bother, you got a, eventually a wide release, but it's still platformed. This will, you know, this will stack up into more theaters, but it's not going to go to you know two thousand screens in the same way that uh, Assassination Nation or Life Itself was like, yeah, let's go big the first time and just see what happens. Like, there's a, I think there's a responsibility on hand of the studio as far as the potential it knows it can seek with something like this.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. I just, I just don't. I don't know. I can't. I, the, I would also
1: say the comedy's not going for giant laughs. I wouldn't expect.
2: Like, no, 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 going. no, no. I, I just, I just, I don't know. I just, it was the whole thing, just felt off to me from like beginning to end. Like there was a couple moments where I kind of like pepped up and I was kind of like into it, but. It, it, those were just so few and far between that I just kept waiting and waiting and waiting for something to happen. I was just I, – I, for be, lack of a better word, I was just very bored with this movie. All right. Well, I had a good time.
1: Let's, uh, <laughs> let, let's keep moving. Uh, we got one more big release, in which I think, Scott, at this time, Menzel, you're the only one that's seen this movie. It's uh, Michael Moore's latest, Fahrenheit 11.9 the much-anticipated sequel to Fahrenheit 9-11. Uh,
2: yeah, I don't know if it's the uh, highly-anticipated sequel, <laughs> considering uh, $3 million at the box office isn't exactly uh, what... Michael Moore was hoping for. I'm sure.
1: Men, Mendelson, um, real quick, Mendelson, what did what did nine eleven What did Fahrenheit nine eleven make in its opening weekend back in 2004?
0: 23 million dollars on 869 screens,
1: which I have to assume is a record for documentary.
0: It's a record it for documentary, and it's still a record for an opening under thousand screens. Oh well, there you go. Yeah, and I mean, not get Rocky
2: three, but <laughs> I think. Well, I also think what's funny about this is that. You know, Michael Moore over the last, what, at least 10 years since probably Fahrenheit 9-11 came out, you know, after that movie came out, I think Moore and and Mendelssohn, you know, I appreciate when you you're very honest about this, where Moore preaches to the same choir over and over and over again. You know, he has he has his own built in audience. And uh, we've seen so many movies from him over the years. And he's never had that no, that huge of a hit since that movie and you know watching this movie it, it's very weird to me because i feel like i've watched every single one of michael morris movies i i would i would say that i'm a fan but he is preaching to the choir because i'm listening to his choir I'm, I'm part of his belief system i believe in most of the things that he's saying but with that being said this one is kind of less focused than any of his films Um, It's kind of all over the place. It it does feel like a sequel to Fahrenheit 9-11 in which it kind of picks up and it attacks Obama, it attacks the Democrats. It's very weird in a lot of ways because Moore goes after things that you're not really expecting him to go after on top of being like an anti-Trump movie. It's definitely an anti-Trump movie, but there is this this other aspect of this film where he's kind of like saying, you know what Democrats F you too. You did not, you know, you have not followed through you. You've, you've failed us all. And um, there's a, a, a remark, a uh, pretty incredible scene with Obama that it basically is like him just saying, giving him the middle finger. And um, there's this whole thing about Bernie Sanders and how he was supposed to be the democratic candidate and then, of course, the Flint water the Flint water crisis and Parkland shootings. So, like, it really is kind of, like, all over the place. But what I got out of this movie was that this was Michael Moore just being angry. And he was saying, you know what? We need to do something. And the problem is, is that the only people who are going to go see this movie are people who like Michael Moore, people who have been supportive of him. And those people already know a lot of this stuff. It's not going to get that Republican audience or those people who are on the middle of the road to go see it,
0: It, because
2: they know his politics.
0: Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, the other films he's put out, Sicko, uh, well, the two big ones, Sicko and... uh, Capitalism, a love story. They both did very well by any rational standards of political documentary. A sicko, I think, did like twenty-five million dollars, and right. uh, capitalism did fourteen and change about nine years ago. Yeah, I mean, this. 9-11 Nine Eleven was a perfect storm. I mean, yes. it, it was. It was also during a time when, quite frankly, there weren't a lot of mainstream media outlets that were saying the things that Michael Moore was saying about George W. Bush and about the yes. Iraq War. Uh, this is very different, you know. At uh, fourteen years later. Everyone's you know, talking about it. Everyone's yeah, about you know it. no one's particularly scared of saying bad things about Donald Trump. Um the other thing is frankly I would argue that the key point of this film wasn't for it to make money at the box office but for it to exist which would then allow Michael Moore to make the media rounds and say the things that he feels needs to be said. Yes, um, I would agree. And I think the only reason it didn't go to a straight VOD is cuz he still loves the theater. You know, he is still a champion of seeing documentaries in theaters. You know, it's Aspen. And I would be shocked if this didn't end up on VOD by mid-October, or very late October at the latest. So that the quote-unquote message could be spread, you know, at six bucks a pop in the comfort of your own home.
1: So you're saying it wasn't a great idea to pull an Oliver Stone W with this movie?
0: No, but again, I I don't think they were—I mean, I can't speak to the distributor, but— I think Michael Moore and those around him, you know, again, this wasn't going to be a huge hit. This isn't 2004. This isn't a documentary that got tossed, you know, it was too hot for Disney to handle. Ooh. So now your yes. lion's going to sweep into the rescue like they did with Dogma, ironically. But I do think the reason they went wide was, you know, in the hopes that it would get that message out to a few unconverted folks. Because you go platform, you spend most of your time in New York, LA, and Boston. I don't think they need to be, you know, they need to do to, you know, hopefully they're all registered to vote. We'll see. Now, having said that, I have not seen it, mostly because I was busy on Friday. And frankly, I would pay double, if not triple the ticket price, to see a cut of this version where I didn't have to listen to, you know, blah, blah, blah blah, for eternity. Yeah, Um, yeah, no. That's why I didn't see an inconvenient sequel. Because, you know, I get enough of him, you know, in these snippets here and there on the Daily Show, mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, it's it's it's, but you know, again, I that move, the movie was never going to be a blockbuster. It was made because he could afford to make it. He's still a very rich guy, and uh, you know, the sad thing is that you know this follows two of his most openly optimistic documentaries. Oh, I know, you know I know. Where to invade in Trump Land.
1: I liked Where to invade, especially Where invade. I thought that was a you know, he okay.
0: almost has hope because you know, I remember at the end of Capitalism, which has its issues. I'm not a huge fan of it. But he basically says, you know, I can't do this anymore. And then yeah. he went away for a while. Yeah. you, know, and, had- you know, and, But, of course, you know, things didn't go our way. So he sort of, you know, for better or worse. And, I, you know, I'm not thrilled about the idea of all the, ooh, Bernie should have been the nominee or whatever. And that's another reason I haven't run out to see it. But at the end of the day, you know, Michael Moore has unfortunately been a symptom of a bad habit among the Democrats And the liberals where we try to show that we are reasonable, responsible adults by disavowing people that are too leftist as if that's a sign of maturity when their side, you know, they don't do that. They embrace the crazies and the wackos. Not that Michael Moore is any in any way approach comparable to Rush Limbaugh or Sean Hannity. Right. Um, End of rant. All right. But I also
2: yeah. I also want to point out that um, what's interesting about this movie, and maybe this is also an issue, is that like you were saying, Mendelssohn, we're so much we already have so much Trump bashing as it is. It's just it's all that you turn every every internet website, every everything's about Trump, and it's 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 so negative. So like him marketing this movie as another one of those movies also, I think kind of hurt it if he actually kind of showcased a little bit more of some of the topics that I talked to, you you know, I, I said that he addressed in the movie. I also feel like it might have gotten a little bit more of a like, oh, what is this about? As opposed to it being more of like the anti-Trump movie, which is like what everyone thinks it is. And while it does have those aspects of it, it does have a lot more to say to that. And the one thing that I will say about this movie, which I thought was really refreshing and and as someone who has watched a lot of Michael Moore documentaries is, you know that at the end of every Michael Moore documentary, he kind of gives this like little speech, this grand speech, except for like in capitalism where like it's always like and things are going to get better, blah, 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 like how do we change the world, blah, blah, blah. And it's really weird because in this one, he starts it and then it gets cut off. And then it just shows you all these shocking videos of like people shooting one another, people being gunned down, police police brutality, all that stuff. And it leaves you with this feeling of, oh, my God, like we are F. You know, we are F'd. And and, and it's weird, but I, I don't know. I I think it's in a very important film in a lot of ways for everyone to see but it's like you said can you get past the fact that it's the it's a michael moore movie and are people not sick of him already so you're based off what you're describing as far as the ending goes you're saying
1: this is his alfred hitchcock's the birds of michael moore movies
2: yes <laughs> yes
1: or it's the the happening of michael moore, michael moore movies
2: well, <laughs> let's go with the birds.
1: Okay. Let's go with the birds. All right. Um, fort Unfortunately, I don't have any um, pro death of a nation uh, people on this podcast to talk. You know, about the merits of that film. Um, but we oh, have, ah, we, ah, have to, we have <laughs> to move on. All right, let's keep moving. I want to move through th- th- three of these quickly, and then we'll get to feedback and start wrapping things up. Uh, so, I saw Smallfoot uh, this weekend. My lovely girlfriend and I we saw Smallfoot yesterday. Scott Menzel, have you seen Smallfoot? I have. Did you like it? It's okay. I think it's okay. I <laughs> I think it's it's like a half-ass musical, which I wasn't too Oh, it's really, Oh
2: my god! No, no, no! It's really half-ass. I know you don't like Greatest Showman, but that is a half-ass musical. If I ever seen one, uh, Small Foot. My oh, god! Like, like I I, I don't
1: dislike Greatest <laughs> Showman. I think Greatest Show I think it's just fine. But like, I see where well, the I see where the merit is as far as why people would appreciate it. This is just like as far as musicals go. It's like. Well, they have songs, I guess. That's something. Didn't see that coming because yeah, they don't tell yeah. you that. They, they kept telling me that there'd be new songs. I'm thinking, oh, okay, so like the montage scenes where they're having fun or whatnot, they'll play songs in the background. It's like, no, the characters sing in this movie. And I'm like, oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> they have they have that going for them. Good, good
2: on them, it's, I guess. It's also the my issue with this movie is that I feel like it's too on the nose with some of the uh, commentary, and I, I feel like it's a little too preachy. You know that didn't bug me because
1: I liked what it was preaching. Because it's essentially saying "stay woke." Like that's the message of the movie, and I was like, "Well, I haven't seen a movie do that before." (laughs) Like that's I've seen it do it to some extent as far as one person challenges the system established and things change for the better. But this movie is like it's literally tackling a belief system that the these group of Yetis have, and I'm like. Well, that's kind of neat, These like, he's, they're they're not just challenging, like, the rigid rules of law, they're challenging the belief structure of their society, and in a way that's not, like, I don't know, bashing the concept of having belief systems, which I think could be very tricky territory to walk, so when you're doing that in a kid's film, I'm like, I can appreciate how it's going about this, I think the you know, as a movie itself, it's fine, like you're saying, but... I got more out of it than something like, I don't know, Boss Baby, which I did not like because, well, let's try it's, it has more than just its simple gimmick going on, which I appreciated. Um, but yeah, that's Smallfoot. It comes out next week. It's fine. I think that's, that's our takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> um, How Mandy. is it? It's fine. Wait till video or wait till Netflix. Uh, let's talk a bit about Mandy. Uh, this is the Panos Cosmatos film starring Nicolas Cage, Andrea Risborough, and uh, Linus Roach, a.k.a. Thomas Wayne, who watched The Batman Begins last week. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I've seen Mandy. Mendelsohn, you've seen Mandy. Menzel? I you, have. Did you see Mandy?
0: I did not, actually.
1: Okay. So let's start with Mendelsohn. What did you think? Did you like Mandy?
0: I thought it was fine. Um, I mean, it's a tone pub. Mm-hmm. It's it's basically a hallucinetic fever dream. It wasn't quite as conventional a, a Grindhouse Revenge picture as I was expecting. That's not a criticism, I just didn't know. Obviously it's very well acted. You know, I like all three of the principles. Um, and it's one of those movies that, you know, and I say this a lot in a lot of my reviews, is like if it's something that you think you you're gonna to want to see, you'll enjoy it. But just know what you're getting get into.
1: Yeah, that's a fair way to put it. I think I like it a little bit more than you do. I do think it's yeah. I think it's very good as what it in what it's setting out to do. I think it does that very well. I do think it's a movie that's certainly not for everybody. That said, it's it's extreme content. I I I mean it's violent, um, as it yeah. goes on. But I wouldn't say it's extreme in like a an Eli Roth grindhouse sort of way. It's extreme no. to another degree, and I think it's more because of the kind of visual imagery mixed with the atmosphere. Because yes, the movie does it takes its time to get going where it goes, but I think the people that like this movie are the ones that are going to appreciate that time it spends getting there more so than the ones that are just expecting where it goes. That'll be appreciated by a certain crowd because, yeah, Nicolas Cage has rage, yeah, go crazy, but at the same time, as fun as that can be to see Nicolas Cage rev- rive, you know, revel up and go insane and have the big eyes and all that, which he you know does to more or less degree... There's a lot. There's a lot of sorrowness in this movie, uh, like yes. the characters that are set up here between him and and Andrea Riseborough's character. They play. They play like you know two like a couple. And what I like about it a lot is that it's not as if we need to see them learning to get together and like how they came to be. They're just already together, and you get that they both have this like shared dark past. Regardless of they like they both came from places where bad things had clearly happened to them, and now they're together and they seem to be like the only people that belong to each other. And then that gets interrupted by Linus Roach's crazy cult man character, and things go crazy from there. But there's such a great mood to it beforehand. Like just the use of music, this is a final score from Johann Johansson, um, and it even begins with a uh, King Crimson track, which is, you know, this just Prague rock, you know, tra- and like it just it's I love the atmosphere of this thing. And it's been described, like, as a very metal movie. And I can see that to a point, like, especially in the second half. But, you know, we, I think we... I'm not the biggest metal expert, but I can say a lot of metal doesn't just start out with all the heavy stuff. It builds to it. And this is a movie that certainly builds to it. And I think it does a good job with that building. I like that structure that, it, you know, the foundation it sets up before it lets loose. So, yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, one last thing I know I want to bring up. If you guys have any other movies to bring up, feel free. Uh, final score i think mendelson you saw this right oh, oh i did this is die hard in a soccer stadium with dave bautista, okay. with dave bautista um and i think it's quite a good die hard knockoff it is perhaps it's my favorite die hard knockoff i've seen this year um it's it's a very good movie that's on vod uh you got dave bautista you got pierce brosnan in a small role and you have ray stevenson as the baddie. and while i think both you and i scott mendelson we both like skyscraper to an extent as far as it's fine. Like it does its job. Yes. I think this movie delivers better on what a diehard knockoff should be as far as having a compelling lead. That's kind of trapped in a scenario, having colorful characters around him and having that unique working well, with that unique setup, as far as this guy's stuck in a what with a hostage situation, I think this movie nails all those things quite well.
0: Yes. I mean, it's it's, just, it's a, you know, a rock solid diehard knockoff. No, it's good. Uh, Batista is good in it. Uh, Pierce Brosnan is obviously doesn't have a huge part, but he's he's fine. It's nice to see him. And you know, it's 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 and it it remembers the tropes that makes these movies work. And you know, again, it's another movie that is it feels bigger than it is because it uses its you know it it, it uses its singular location to its advantage. That's of course one of the the advantages of the Die Hard concept, which is that you have you know, basically a single location movie that can still feel large. If it's a big enough location, obviously it's a, it's a low budget film. You know, there's, there's the action is as big as it can be and not much more, but it works. It's a solid VOD. All right.
1: I think we've talked plenty about movies that have come out recently. Uh, I want to get into our feedback. I don't want to miss that. Um, so let's get let's get through that real quick. This is where we go over the various questions answered on our Facebook page. I asked a number of questions to the listeners. They gave us answers. Uh, Scott and Scott, feel free to lend any answers that you may have as these questions I ask. Uh, first, before we get to all that, though, we have our poll question. Um, which is also answered by all the listeners. I put two movies against each other every week on this podcast. Uh, they tend to fit the theme of the show, and because The House of the Clock and its Walls came out, I decided to put two children's horror films against each other. Um, the idea here is that you vote for the one to save, and the one that's you know that loses this battle gets erased from history. So the stakes are extra high, and so this oh, damn. I know. So this week I put Gremlins against Coraline. So before I. Uh, before mm. I, I go to what the listeners thought of this, I don't know the results either, I haven't clicked on mine yet. Uh, if between Gremlins or Coraline, knowing that one of these will get erased from existence, which one do you save? Coraline. Wow. Wait, do we
0: still the... get Gremlins too. Well no, because there's
1: no Gremlins.
2: No, there's no Gremlins. Mm. But you don't no, get I know, it's really hard. But
1: you don't get Leica if you don't if if Coraline's gone.
2: Oh then definitely oh. Coraline.
1: Yeah, I would have sorry, to go that. Match. Yeah, sorry. I would have to agree with him. And that's where I'm at, too. Like, I like Gremlins a lot. I think it's a lot of fun. I like the sequel a lot. I think it's a lot of fun. I like Joe Dante. But Joe Dante, sometimes bad luck just runs with him. (laughs) Like, like we all (laughs) wish it wouldn't. So, let me click Coraline. And, wow, we are not on the right side of this one. Gremlins wins this 75% to 25%. (laughs) Wow.
0: Nostalgic nerds.
1: So, a big, lot of Gremlins fans here. So, I got to add it to our list of movies that do not exist anymore. Coraline, it's gone. (laughs) That's a shame. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not that funny as I say it out loud, but that's that's where we're at now. <laughs> I have to erase Coraline from existence. Uh, all right, well, I'll do that in a bit. Let's get to our. Let's get now. Get to our feedback. The first question I asked here is a favorite Jack Black role, and uh, Luke Thompson, friend of the show, he writes Pick of Destiny if you call it a role. Uh, Justin has Jumanji, Shallow How. I also like him as the Panda, as Poe. Mark Hope, front of the show, writes School of Rock. Philip has Nacho Libre, followed by Be Kind Rewind. Uh, Christopher has Kung Fu Panda and Bazek has Shallow Hell. Hands down. Favorite Jack Black roles.
0: Kung Fu Panda. Specifically part two, which is awesome.
2: I love him in Cable Guy.
0: In Cable oh Guy. yeah. Yes.
2: As, uh, I just watched that. I just watched that the other day again and it's like it's still so great. And I it's movie so freaking dark. I love it. As as Broderick's best friend in like Cable yeah. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Rick. Uh,
1: as I mentioned, I'm a, yeah, I'm a big fan of Jack Black in general. I, I, I think he's really great in High Fidelity. Um, I, I, think, I mean, that was like I think I guess it was kind of his breakout role. I mean, he had other things going on, but that was like a big one for him. But I, I, I think he's pretty. Terrific. How about
2: how about how about Saving Silverman? You remember him in that? I'm I'm not a fan of that movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know it has its fans. I, um,
1: I feel. Like, I I, I, I and, like it. I, Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> i because I, when i think of that i think wow him and steve zahn and biggs and amanda pete and arlie irby there's like there's a lot of talented funny people in there and none of them are doing what's great <laughs> that's, that's kind of where i stand with with that movie
2: fair enough <laughs> sorry fair Scott. Enough. it's okay uh, see that's what that's what people love about me and uh scott mendelson we really go to bat for some really weird movies every once in a while
1: Oh, I go to bat for weird yeah. movies. That's just not one of them. <laughs> That's all. Here's our next question. Uh Cate Blanchett. Who or what should she play next? Philip has, gosh, anything that demands a strong and dignified screen presence and don't make her lose her accent. It's off-putting when great British accents get eliminated. She's Australian. Um, Alan has... <laughs> Alan, has... <laughs> Alan writes uh, Dr. Manhattan. And uh, Justin writes, I love her
2: in Evil roles. Anything she wants to do. I would like to see her as a villain in Fast and the Furious. Oh, yeah. That's a good answer.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I go to bat, as we know on this podcast, I go to bat for Judy Dench uh, as far as the next, next Fast and Furious villain goes. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't mind. All right. Next question we have here. Favorite kid-friendly horror films? Tyler writes Gremlins. Steven writes Tremors. Philip writes, Signs maybe stretching the kid-friendliness, but it works great for family viewing. (laughs) Alan has Hocus Pocus. (laughs) Justin has A Little Shop of Horrors. Also, I'd say The Frighteners. Both my boys love it. Uh, David has, wouldn't say this is a favorite, but scary. Uh, Watcher in the Woods. And uh, Scott, you wrote, uh, Mike Mendelsohn, you wrote Lady in White.
0: Yeah. That's a favorite of mine from the old days. (laughs) Which one's Lady in White? Uh, Lucas Haas, uh, 1988. It's about a young boy that gets locked in a school overnight and stumbles upon a ghost of a murdered young girl it takes place in the 1950s i think uh 50s or 60s uh said you know early, long ago enough that you know jim crow era raises some favors in the plot figures in the plot 1960s i see yeah um and it's freaking terrific i've always been a fan lucas haas in the eight so
1: this is witness days for lucas haas yep before he like sprung up six more feet like he was really
0: tiny <laughs>
2: Now he's really tall. Uh, Yes. Any other kid-friendly favorites? For me? Oh, you can't guess which one mine is. You really can? I've I've,
1: (laughs) I've been talking about a lot of things. My mind's not in quite settled right now.
2: Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, was
1: a Nightmare Before Christmas? Yeah,
2: okay, that makes sense. I've seen you wearing that shirt a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, you have not been to my house. That's right. Mendelssohn has.
0: Yes. (laughs) By the way, did somebody say The Frighteners? Yeah. Yeah, that's not our rated movie. It has a bad shooting in it. Yes, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I'm not judging. I just think it's it's funny. great for kids. He mentioned
1: he mentioned both his boys love it, and I, I would say, I mean, I saw <laughs> that's the, fair, whatever. Frighteners is what ninety six. I saw that. Yeah. at that age, I that's I'm not that old in ninety six, guys. Like, I'm not, and I, I really love the Frighteners when I saw it. I could, and I remember like it's only R because they added an extra scene because it got a PG thirteen in it, or like it got a very, it got an R well, to no, the
0: opposite. They wanted a PG. They, they wanted a PG
1: thirteen. They got, they got the an R, R anyway. I, yeah. I think, I, I see why they would want the PG-13, because I don't think it's, like, there's no swearing, really, and yeah. the, the mass shooting scene you're saying, it's not that violent, and then they, yeah, then they went out of their way and added an extra violent scene because they already had the R, yes. so they said, fuck it, why not? Uh, That's fair. That's but like, I'm not judging.
0: I just took me as like what? Well. I,
1: I hear you. I just I think in tone, I can understand why that'd be yeah. appropriate for a certain group. Yeah, I wouldn't say yes. I would say like you know, as a four year old, you should watch that right after you watch Nightmare Before Christmas. I'd say before.
2: <laughs> um, but,
1: um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, yeah I, I see what you're saying. And yeah, Nightmare Before for me, opposed to Scott uh, Mendelssohn who apparently nods off during a great movie, I, I like Nightmare Before Christmas a lot. I, 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 that's a musical. I'll tell you that much right yes. there. Oh, oh, oh. Yes, it is.
2: That is a musical. Next well, question. I do love the songs. Okay,
1: fair enough. Next question. What horror villain would you be most terrified of running away from? Uh, Richard has My Ex-Wife. Uh, Justin has Alien or the Thing. And Philip has The Pale Man. I know my answer. It is the Leatherface from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, because he sprints, guys. He's sprinting. It's not just people walking at you very fast from across the street. He's sprinting at you with a chainsaw. That's terrifying. I'm running the other direction.
0: I would say, just by default, someone like Freddy Krueger, because because you're in a dream world, the normal rules of logic and physics do not apply. Mm-hmm. Ergo, merely running to the left at the right moment isn't necessarily going to save you.
2: Mm-hmm. I would say Leprechaun just because I would be so amused by him. And, like, I probably would want to listen to him talk, and he's probably going to kill me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
1: uh, last question we have here. When did you see your first horror movie, and what was it? Philip has Friday of the 13th, the original. I was eight and duly traumatized. I'm all better now, though. Matt has The Exorcist at a young age. Still won't watch that flick. Don't judge me. Chris writes, The Thing when I was 11, so scared I slept in my parents' bed for a week. Oh, my dad also took me to see The Swarm when I was about 8. Didn't go down too well either. Justin has Poltergeist when it came out. I still hate trees. And Cynthia has Evil Dead. I was 11 or 12 years old. Do you call the first horror movie you've seen?
2: No. I, I, it's like a three-way tie between The Birds, Poltergeist, and The Exorcist. I don't know which one came first, but they freaking all terrified me.
0: Oh, let me thick. I mean, the last Starfighter is not a horror film, but it scared me when I was four. I had that with. It was actually the second movie I saw in theaters.
1: I had that with Willow. Yeah, like the monster and Willow. We like, were like one. In, you were like one in 1988, right? No, I didn't see Willow till it was like <laughs> it was on video. I didn't see it in theaters though. I saw it, like when I, when I was on video. Fair enough. I think the first thing I saw though, because I've written, I think it's, I think it's thriller as far, yeah, like, it's not necessarily a full fledged horror film, but like a movie, you know, and it terrified me. The first full one. Hmm might be like my mom loved the bad seed i think and that might have been the, the first one i
2: saw like in- do you re- do you remember captain eo the michael jackson oh, yeah. thing that was and uh, oh, that yeah. terrified yeah. me as a kid i was the so, lady with the, the fingernails
1: i was thrilled when it came back to disneyland after michael jackson passed away in uh, 2010 they like remastered and everything it's like oh great I can see captain eo again
0: <laughs> good news bad
2: news good
0: news bad news oh bad news michael jackson died got oh, again. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Too soon. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's too
2: soon.
1: <laughs> all right. Let's uh, move forward. That was our feedback. Feedback, feedback. Let's move on now. Let's start wrapping things up here with a little Out Now. presenters Out Now. These are movies that are out, coming out now on Blu-ray or DVD or 4K and also things that are now streaming on Netflix and Prime. Uh, feel free to give a yay or nay to all the titles I'm about to mention. Uh, first up, Solo, A Star Wars Story. Eh. Meh. It's it's fine, um, Uncle Drew. Eh. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet <laughs> either. I want to like it if I see it, but Scott, you're giving What's me it? a you're giving me an eh. Uh,
2: it's like a, it's a light eh, like it's like okay, eh. <laughs> it's uh, on my
1: treadmill list. Kay. Yeah. Uh, Mountain. This is a documentary that I saw with my dad. Um, that's narrated by Willem Defoe. It's a documentary about the 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 beauty of mountains in the world, and I quite enjoyed huh. it. I thought it was very good. It's a very relaxing movie. It's a good, like, I could put this on and relax and just let it, like, sit down on the couch, <laughs> listen to the score, and hear the sultry tones of Willem Dafoe as he narrates about mountains. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna
2: pause yeah. Yeah. my fire my my fire what is it my 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 fireplace disc
0: mm-hmm. exactly. and I'm gonna and put, put on that mountain. one on exactly stuff.
1: yeah yeah make sure you quote this and submit this to the studio so you can get the wheel of entertainment plug on the box about mountain so you can sit down <laughs> and relax and watch this on the couch Aaron Newworth, wheel of entertainment <laughs> uh, next up is Gotti which I from what MoviePass tells me I should not listen to any critics and only listen to the fans that love Gotti that just signed in droves.
0: Um, that's also on my treadmill list. Way, yeah. way at the back of my treadmill <laughs> list. We're going
1: we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about this in the future, guys. We're going to talk about the days when people were just piling in their Priuses, racing to the theaters to see Gotti. <laughs> oh, oh, they're oh, like, oh, oh, oh my God. They're, they're, that's, when the, that's when the critical bubble exploded because people just
2: didn't appreciate what they had to yeah. say anymore. All, although,
0: it wasn't Batman v Superman. It was Gotti.
2: It was Gotti. Although, although I have to point out that a friend of mine saw the leak version of this that apparently – was not the one that was released into theaters, and apparently that one was good, or at what? least halfway decent. Yeah, that's apparently interesting. they oh. cut it up and spliced it. The one that's in theaters, or was in theaters for the whole whopping two weeks, <laughs> was like really highly edited. Hmm. Well, I'm
1: sure Entourage's Kevin Connolly, the director of Gotti, is probably really <laughs> upset about that. But uh, we'll see. yeah, I'm sure he is. Next up, DC's Legends of Tomorrow season three. Woohoo!
0: It's awesome.
1: I don't watch it, but I, I've heard it. I don't watch you I, should. It's
0: awesome. I, I've, I've you don't it. need to watch the first two seasons.
1: Oh, well, that makes me, you know, gear up to almost not watch the, the rest of it. Next um, up. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, Welcome to the Dollhouse. This is a new special release from, uh, from Sony Picture Classics. I think anyone that's in 8th grade um, would want to see Welcome to the Dollhouse. I think they'd probably go pretty well with each other. Let's see, next up. The Day of the Jackal. Not the terrible, terrible Bruce Willis film that also features Jack Black, uh, but the original <laughs> film, The Day of the Jackal, not just The Jackal, this is a new release from Arrow. Um, it's a really good movie. I am a big fan of this. I had this pre-ordered for a while, so I'm looking forward to watching this again. Um, on Criterion this week, we have Andrzej Rublev and Raisin in the Sun, so two comedy classics, obviously, right there. Yeah. Um, I'm joking. Um, from Scream Factor this week, we have the Wreck Collection. That is the film's Wreck, Wreck 2... Re- oh, what's the third one called? Uh, Wreck-It Ralph breaks yeah, Re- the internet. Yeah, Wreck-It Ralph and and Ralph breaks the internet. The, the, all four wreck films. Uh, they're coming out on screen. Back. I'm a big fan of the first two wreck films, um, so I'm I'm happy that these got a new proper release because I don't think they've ever been officially released, like uh, like a, like a properly released release in America. Um, and also, so what
0: you're saying is they get your recommendation?
1: That's right. They do. They get my recommendation for sure. Um, Sorry. The first two do. The third. Very I never, punny. I never got to see the fourth one. Um, uh, the third one takes a big dip, or not a big dip, but it takes a big different direction as far as how this ones work. Uh, let's see. And Exorcist 2, The Heretic, a new Screen Factor release for that one as well. At some point, I need
0: to watch that movie. Yep, yeah,
1: that, that silence indicates a lot right there. Um,
0: yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> for the second. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Exorcist movie. Wreck 3 Genesis, that's what it is. That's the third Wreck. That mattered. That mattered to me. I had to correct that. Um, in 4K this week, we have Halloween. The original American Psycho, Punisher, Punisher Warzone and the X Men trilogy—the first three X Men films—all of those are now in 4K. Oh wow! I know. I am <laughs> busy. I know both Punisher movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, lastly, call um, me when the Dolph Lundgren version is on 4K. I'm, I'll make sure Brandon does let you know. Uh, <laughs> lastly, Fraggle Rock: The Complete Series. There you go. Down Wait Fraggle on 4K? Rock. No, just in general, just, oh. just a new release.
0: That,
1: I own that. It would look amazing. Is DVD or Blu-ray? A Blu-ray. Oh, okay. I have the DVD. Yeah. Well, now you can get the Blu-ray um, on on uh, Prime this week. My Little Pony, the movie. Oh yeah. Yes.
0: Oh yeah. I own that DVD. Sadly.
1: <laughs> and uh, on Netflix this week, a few things. uh Maniac. This is the new limited series of Jonah Hill and Emma Stone from director carrie Fukunaga, who has just been announced to be directing the next Bond film um i watched the first episode so far has anyone else seen maniac at all not yet okay yeah i watched the first episode i'm curious to see more uh, it feels like the kind of show that'll certainly build from where it starts i'm not saying that the first episode's bad i'm just saying it doesn't it didn't leave me with an impression of like now like i know how to recommend this because i just don't know how to recommend it yet um i liked what i saw but obviously there's a lot of room for more things to happen um quincy this is a documentary about quincy jones uh, co-directed by his daughter rashida jones Let's see. The Walking Dead season eight for Walking Dead fans. Um, a Wrinkle in Time is on Netflix this week. Oh, I'm sorry for
2: um, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. sorry for those yeah. people who haven't I seen sure that. loved yet.
1: it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, lastly, lastly, The Endless um, is now on Netflix. I was a big fan of this. I got to review Ooh. this Blu-ray not too far back, and it's on Netflix. I now. like that one. The Endless, yeah. It's a
0: uh, yeah. I
2: didn't see it.
1: It's, and I will say nothing about it. Yeah, it's. I honestly, it's best not knowing what it is going in. I think there's a lot to be gained from just kind of letting it do what it does. Um, I will say, because these directors, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, they've done a couple films, and they have a film called Resolution, which is set in the same universe as this film. That doesn't mean anything as far as you need to see that to see the other. They both are very much standalones. But I was very curious about their previous films having watched The Endless, so I watched that one and was like, oh, There's a connection here, and I found that to be quite interesting. But yeah, The Endless, that is now on Netflix. I recommend it highly. Uh, Next week, not sure. Not sure what we're doing next week. Um, There's, again, a number of releases. There's no shortage of releases next week. We have Hellfest, uh, Night School, Smallfoot, which I already talked about. At, which is on four thousand screens. Good God, there's so many. That's so many screens. Uh, the old man and the gun comes out in a limited release as well. Uh, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll figure it out. Uh, might be another bonus show. I hope Abe is back. I know he's, he's had a lot of things to do in these past couple weeks.
2: Did you see Old Man and the Gun already?
1: I am
0: seeing it tomorrow. Have you seen a Mendelssohn? I have not.
2: Oh wow, I'm surprised.
0: No. I will wait just because I have other stuff this week.
2: There's also, just so, because I know no one's ever going to mention this movie ever again, but there's a movie called Summer of '03 that comes out next week in a very, very limited release starring uh, Joey King. I highly recommend this movie. I thought it was hilarious. Okay.
0: I will check that out.
2: Uh, Last thing we do here, what should people go and
1: see now, and what do you plan to see next? Scott Menzel, what should people see in theaters right now? Um, I'm actually gonna go with Fahrenheit eleven nine. Alright. What people see next? Or what sorry, what are you seeing next,
0: my bad?
2: Uh I am seeing the oath tomorrow. Alright.
1: Scott Mendelsohn, what which people see in theaters right now?
0: Uh House with the clock in its walls. It's delightful.
1: Which people see next? Or what do you twice?
0: did it twice. I am <laughs> tired. Uh, bad time at the Old Royale and the Hate You Give. That's my early stuff. Oh that might you be seeing so great on Thursday all right uh, I
1: yeah okay um yeah i would say uh searching still out there still good
2: oh right right right! amazing amazing uh, everyone should see that
1: house of a Clock in its walls i especially recommend that this week because of the imax viewing that has thriller with it i was a big fan of the simple simple the, the sisters brothers which is on a couple screens so go see that too and yeah next simple
2: one. favor simple, favor, simple is favor is
1: out there yeah uh, next, I am seeing the old man on the gun, but there's a lot of things this week <laughs> that I'm seeing. So, yeah, uh, that's really that's going to do it, guys. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Matt, Now, there and Dave. You can find more of my reviews over at my personal blog, thecodizik.com. All my stuff ends up over there, but you can find most of my writing over at We Live Entertainment. You can also find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Scott Mendelson, where can people find more of you online?
0: Uh, Forbes.com, uh, Google Forbes, Scott Mendelssohn, and maybe the Ticket Booth, and that's where I am. Scott Menzel, where can people find more of you online?
2: You Oh, God. This is this has grown so much since last time. Um, so you can find my written reviews and my interviews at weliveentertainment.com. Uh, I do three different shows each week now, um, one of which is, of course, the Los Angeles Online Film Critics Society uh, weekly show, which is on the Popcorn Talk Network on Fridays at 11 a.m., I also do Meet the Movie Press, which is on the Popcorn Talk Network on at Fridays at 9 a.m. And then on Sunday at 5 p.m. on Black Hollywood Live, I do a show called Black Tomatoes with Carla Renata, who is also part of the Los Angeles Online Film Critics Society. OK. <laughs> Yeah, you can find all the other episodes of outnow Abe on
1: iTunes, as well as on Audioboom and Spotify. You can find all our past shows, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. Uh, feel free to email us any thoughts Abe might have had on anything we talked about today over at OutNowPodcasts at gmail.com. Follow us over at Facebook and Twitter, Facebook.com slash Twitter.com slash OutNowPodcast. Send plenty of gifts asking that, that could that could go concerned with the question of why Abe's not here, specifically gifts that are focused on scary clowns because he loves those over at OutNowPodcasts at again scary clowns to abe at out at tumblr.com that's what i really wanted to get to and yeah that's uh, gonna do it thank you scott and scott for joining me this week on out now you're welcome you're welcome had a blast good glad to have uh shot the shit about movies for a couple hours with you guys <laughs> and yeah that's gonna do it for this week's show so until next time so long and goodbye